good morning, afternoon, or evening, and welcome to the Bloody Disgusting Network. The following show is just horrifying. Beware. You're not cheating on your wife if you eat my lemon square. Your lemon squares taste like ass. And welcome back to Horror Queers. We're talking doing it for the lulls. We're talking one iconic long take. And we're talking Joel McHale's daddy. And I'm Joe. And I'm Trace. And I'm not a bitch. I'm a feminist. <laughs> we're talking assassination nation everybody uh and i'm really glad that i thought to thought about that on the fly because i totally had that that single take <laughs> as my thing <laughs> oh my god yeah because yeah it it's everything i love it i honestly love a lot of things about this movie but i am going to use this opportunity to remind everyone just content warnings for pretty much anything you can think of this movie has been deemed very, very offensive and or triggering by lots of people. So if you haven't seen it, it goes there. It goes there in a lot of ways. Yeah, it's like a modern day exploitation film by way of Heathers almost. Yeah, it's funny. I never thought of the Heathers comparison until I started reading reviews and then everybody references it. And I realized, yeah, it's kind of apt. You know, I think it's just because, it de- I mean, again, it's dealing with very sensitive topics in a very loud, angry, mm-hmm. satirical way, right? And yeah. It is going to work for you or it is not going to work for you. So, I mean, if if you haven't watched this film because you're worried about those content warnings, um, that's okay. We are mm-hmm. hopefully going to walk you through this movie. But um, <laughs> also, Joe, this is our 2018 entry into our Underseen and Underrated series, is it not? It is indeed. Yeah, this one was a pretty easy pick. Even though there's a lot of good contenders this year, this is one of the films I've really been itching to talk about on the podcast for a while. I'm nervous to talk about this film on the podcast, but I will say I, I was like, oh, it's probably underrated. But honestly, after looking at the box office results, um, I mm-hmm. think it's underseen. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's both, actually. <laughs> I, well, yeah, actually, too, I thought it was like a widely acclaimed film, and it's not. It's like that mm-hmm. middle of the road, but I guess that's how, you know, uh, uh, button-pushing films operate, right? Yeah, yeah, very, very divisive. Anyway, but, you know, <laughs> I think because we do have a lot to unpack here, I think we need a little bit of help. So, everyone, we do have a guest waiting in the wings. She is the former editor-in-chief of the We Are Horror zine, and you may have read her work at such sites like Gaily Dreadful and Cinespeak. Please welcome Danny Bethay. Yay! Hello, everybody! How are you doing, Danny? <laughs> I um have a trunk load full of um super weapons. Which, <laughs> that's that's a spoiler already. So oh, uh, we are spoilers laid out. Like if people haven't watched the movie, that is their issue because we go into it. Mm-hmm. Now, Danny. Okay, so I found out. Well, yes, I found out just before we started recording that this was your first time seeing this movie. So. I don't know, in a hundred words or less, tell me what you thought. <laughs> <laughs> I um I felt like we're gonna obviously get into yeah. we're gonna break this down, obviously. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. when I saw this movie, like when the credits rolled, I felt like I had seen this 
genre of film before or a genre of even television because mm-hmm. it's a part of that teenage angsty the world is imploding my mm-hmm. my body is not my own f the patriarchy have a lot of things to say because i'm well wait i'm a millennial so what are they uh, Gen Z. Gen yes. Z, thank you. I'm like, what are you? <laughs> Gen Z. Gen <laughs> Certainly Z. not me. <laughs> no. Yeah. Not me. I think we're all millennials here, I think. I think yes. Joe is 40 now, right? Are you not? I'm on the cusp of millennials, so I still qualify. <laughs> Get out of here. <laughs> what? Yeah, because the cutoff is 82, and I'm an 82 baby, so. Oh my God. <laughs> Oh, well, happy almost 40th birthday. Oh, thank you. He's he's 40. (laughs) All right, let's move on. Let's move it on. This 40-year-old wants to talk about 16-year-old girls shooting shit the fuck up. (laughs) No, wait, they are 18. They They are 18 18 years old. Yeah. Thank God, because... (laughs) It's, you know, because something as we've been doing this series, because, you know, a lot of times, I mean, we'll do modern films. We've done a lot of films from the 2010s, but it's... um. But normally, like, if we do something that's, like, 2015 or older, I'm like, cool, I've probably seen this movie a couple of times. But this Mm -hmm. series has really made me, like, I've had to watch a lot of the movies we've been covering twice. Like, I'll watch it one day, and then I'll watch it again before we record, because I'm like, okay, I'm not as familiar with this, and I really want to make sure this soaks in. And I really had to do that with this movie. I saw this for the first time, like, probably, honestly, it might have been an early pandemic watch for me. So, like, 2020 even. And I had forgotten all about it. Like, I remembered I remembered the tracking shot. I remembered that home evasion sequence, but I didn't mm-hmm. really remember much else. So I think I was very drunk. Um, <laughs> this, I, whew, I had a lot of fun with this movie. And I really, I'm hesitant to use the word fun because yeah, yeah. of the content in this film. But you know what? The director said it's fun and the actresses said it's fun. So I'm fine saying it's fun. Well, and, and one of the things that Danny and I talked about before we hit record is that obviously if folks are familiar with Euphoria, this is the same writer creator mm-hmm. and you can see a lot of the DNA of Euphoria in this. It's almost like this is the more violent version of Euphoria, whereas that is more drug-laden. But mm-hmm. the visual aesthetic, the kind of societal community issues, this framing of an almost division between men and women and young people and old people is this recurring theme throughout the work. But I feel like I mean, Trace, you said, oh, if it doesn't really work for you, you're probably not going to like this. And obviously, you could say that about most films. Right. But I feel like in Levinson's specific work, it's very like you either like this stuff or you really don't fucking like it. Because I think it it sets people off. Mm. Oh, did it set you off, Danny? Well, I think because I knew automatically from the tone of... Mm-hmm the opening like the cold open i mm-hmm. knew the tone already so i guess i didn't need to brace myself <laughs> so which funnily enough that opening and we'll talk about it more when we get to the plot but it was originally at the end of the first act oh, oh yes uh, levinson huh. said that he moved it to the top like i guess during the editing process yeah because I think, you know, folks, if you opted not to watch this and you're just listening to us before, like maybe gauging whether it's an appropriate fit for you, watch the first 95 seconds. By the time you get to the title card, if it is not your jam, you'll know this movie is not for you. Because well, 
Yeah, go. Because I, 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 I know I, I was looking at some response. I go to Letterbox. I was even looking at bloody disgusting comments because I was just like, oh man, this probably pissed a lot of people off and bloody mm-hmm. disgusting. But a lot of people were like, I found it very annoying, and I find that that. Oh. I find hmm. that that comes into play a lot with films about Gen Z that, that really deal heavily with social media. And, and women. And, yes, and women. But the th- honestly, I know what y'all are saying. Because, I mean, again, unfortunately, I have not ever seen Euphoria. Um, not for lack of desire, but it's one of those shows where I'm like, I feel like I really need to be in the mood for something this depressing. But Oh, no. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, because you said that So the tone of this movie, like, is kind of what Euphoria is, and that is shocking to me. I literally thought Euphoria was just a bunch of teenagers doing drugs, and just it was really depressing. No, it is like this, only take out the violent third act and just, like, have them hanging out at the parties and, like, fucking more. Well, shit, I might prioritize Euphoria. Yeah, Euphoria, yeah. Euphoria is chaotic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but the closest thing I can think of like, when people say, oh, this is really annoying, it's something like Joseph Kahn's detention. Like, that's kind of mm. where I was thinking of this. Yeah, I mean, that's a bit of a deep cut, Trace. I, if I we're know. talking about underrated and underseen, detention falls on that list for sure. But mm-hmm. yeah, there's something about the editing, the focus on teen bodies and teen speak, uh, the emphasis on social media. You're definitely right there. I mean, this is a movie that's automatically going to be off-putting to a lot of people because they are going to fall into the group that this movie is actively criticizing. Like, oh, you think selfies are dumb or vacuous or like young people are selling their bodies too much. Like this movie is criticizing a lot of older people. And I could see why that would be off-putting because it's hard to watch a movie that looks you in the face and says, actually, you're kind of part of the problem. Like. Again, we don't need to bring up Scream and <laughs> the messaging behind its killers, but there were a lot of people who were pissed off because they felt like they were being called out. I mean, they were, but, you know, yeah. sorry, y'all. Um, <laughs> this genre of film is definitely, like you all mentioned, is uh, the new wave that is instead of, you know, what is the, what's the old phrase? Show, don't tell. Now mm-hmm. more movies are telling and yes. showing. And I yes. think maybe for people, you know, for people who... Obviously, I guess, like he said, it's an age thing. It's an age demarcation. And I think as this genre has gone on, I think as it's become more kind of, I guess, ingratiated into the culture, we've mm-hmm. gotten more accustomed to films that have this kind of dialogue, mm-hmm. Yeah, you know? But I, I mean, and I, I, you're right. Like they, this movie does target like older generations, but I also think everyone is the target of this movie like i don't Mm. think the younger generation is excluded from criticisms Mm -hmm. and maybe it's because i've been reading a lot of quotes from levinson because and i have we'll go through a bunch of his intent with this and we can all debate whether or not it's successful but Mm -hmm. he does say primarily he was trying to target people's lack of empathy and we have a conversation about that in this film but that was his main point was like saying people need to be more empathetic Mm -hmm. hmm so. That is kind of fascinating because I think one of the things I pr- appreciate the most about this film is that it is not subtle. Like no. <laughs> I, I've seen, I've seen a lot of people say, "Oh, well, there is no subtext here because it is literally all text." Like these characters will tell you exactly what they're feeling, what they're thinking, what they do and do not like, and. I think not only is it confronting, but yeah, it it is that piece where it's how do we connect with each other in person, online, and when those boundaries start to cross, right? Like when our private data starts to leak into public forums, Mm -hmm. how do we react and how do we either lose or gain those connections? 
Yes. Well, okay. Yeah. So let's go into the production of this a bit. And again, I don't have a ton here, but because there's a lot in this mm-hmm. plot that I'm sure we're going to have to parse through. Like, let, let, let's just dive into this shit, okay? Go ahead. So we've already said Sam Levinson is the creator of Euphoria. I also didn't realize um, he is the son of filmmaker Barry Levinson, who y'all may know as the director of films like Good Morning Vietnam, Wag the Dog, Disclosure, Sphere, and The Bay. <laughs> I was going to say, so all political and then... <laughs> Sphere and the Bay. And then Sphere. <laughs> well, the, the Bay definitely has, like, an environmental critique to it, so. But, oh, yeah, yeah, you're, you're correct about that. Um, there's no point in me saying that. I just thought it was a fun fact. Levinson's goal, and this is, of course, Sam now, uh, when writing this film, it was to reflect the madness of the internet. He started writing it five days before his wife gave birth to her first child and was really nervous about where America was headed as a country. And this would have been after Donald Trump's election. Yeah, and you can see it. That is baked into the DNA of this movie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, he's like, yeah, there's so much vitriol and rage that's bubbling up, and he wanted to emotionally unpack it and deal with it the only way he knew how, which was as a writer and a filmmaker. And so this is his second feature film. So that's kind of part one. You know, he wants to do it with the internet, but he also wanted to mirror the emotional intensity and volatility of the internet. And honestly... He keeps saying the internet, but to me, I'm just like, it's Twitter. Like, you're doing Twitter. Yeah, I actually saw a couple of people say, oh, this is the first true horror film of the Twitter age. I was like, what does that even mean? But I guess it's, I mean, if we really start to think about sound bites and interactions in 140 to 280 characters, right? Well, that... Hey, so here, here's the description he gives, and l- l- tell me what this sounds like to you. He goes, you open up your phone on any morning, you're reading. Here's a story of someone getting shot. Here's a street fight. Here's a cat video. Here's someone singing a song on a dying to a dying family member. And that's all in the span of five minutes. It's an emotional roller coaster. It's so intense, and it adds up to this dizzying feeling about how do you navigate this world and keep your sanity? Mm. So, yeah. I don't know. That's very reflective of the process of watching this film at various times. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> and the first thing you may note about this film is that it is a film about women, but it is written and directed by a cisgender man. So when describing his process for writing this film, he says, and this quote is a little long, so y'all bear with me and I'll try to leave breaks when I can. Look, as a man writing women that are about a decade younger than me, I can only get so far with a character. I can only get to a certain degree of authenticity. In casting, and I've done this my whole life, It doesn't matter what character it is, but whenever I cast someone, I sit down with them and I begin to discuss life experiences, what they relate to in the character and what they don't relate to, what feels authentic and what doesn't. Then I will always do a rewrite of the script based on those conversations. Hmm. It makes the character more authentic and in turn the world more authentic. And I think that does kind of play off here. I mean, I I feel like, honestly, that's a really good defense to have uh, in this climate when talking about a movie like this that is written and directed by a man. Well, it's consultative, right? Like, I think when we talk about representation, and specifically us as members of the queer community, right, we are either looking for people to give us the opportunity, like, let us do the writing, let us do the directing, blah, blah, blah. If we can't have that, the next best option is what Levinson is describing, right? Like, rewrite things so that they feel more authentic to the people who are actually living that existence. And, I mean, we always want to see the first option, but the latter is the next best thing. And you're right, Trace, it is a really good defense because 
it's hard when you then try to lobby a criticism against this film and the actresses can say, well, actually, I was integral to the development of my character. I had uh, informed consent on how this person was going to act and grow and so on. That's a, that's a very good point. And I think it works in that regard that those moments of like levity and quiet where the main four, right, our main four cast mm-hmm. members are together those moments just felt like so natural and organic and like each person had known each other like their whole lives rather than well it was refreshing to me to watch this and this is gonna i'm gonna (laughs) so it is the liveliest i have ever seen suki waterhouse (laughs) 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 who and i mean look i'm sure she is great but she typically takes on because she's a model and she typically takes on roles that are very muted i'm like bad batch and fucking seance honestly Mm -hmm. my favorite role of hers was the ditto assistant and detective pikachu and now it's this so (laughs) there we go (laughs) but same thing with odessa young who Joe, when we covered the CBS All Access miniseries The Stand, and I was mm-hmm. like, who is this girl playing Franny? Because she is boring. And you're like, oh, she's from Assassination Nation. And I was like, oh. Yeah. I, I could not. If you had told me they were the same. I'm sorry. When you told me they were the same actress, I would never have believed you. <laughs> mm. No, it feels light and day difference. Of course, folks, if you want to hear more of those thoughts, both the episodes on Seance and The Stand are on Patreon. But uh, yeah, it, it, there's something... I feel like what we're discovering increasingly, Trace, and I'm sure, Danny, you've experienced this too, is there are certain projects where the actor just feels that much more connected to the material mm-hmm. and or maybe they're getting better direction or something like that. But I've learned that I need to stop writing actors off because I've seen them in a bad project and look for the project that is using them well. Well, yeah. it's all—it's also, the, I mean, again, not to bring it back to Scream, but the criticisms that people had about Melissa Barrera. And I'm like, yeah, but is it the actress or is it the role? Because sometimes mm-hmm. roles are just, I mean, like, again, like her, Suki Waterhouse's role in The Bad Batch is meant to be like this, like, stoic, like, low energy person. And so it's, mm-hmm. it's not a showcase for her talents in, in, in a way that this film is. Right. Yeah. Anyway, so okay, um, I'll I'll leave off on the quotes and I'll wait till we kind of get to more some more analysis later. But um, the principle of photography began on this film in March 2017 in New Orleans, and I will say that if you had told me this was filmed in New Orleans, I hmm. also wouldn't have believed you because this right. doesn't look like New Orleans to me. <laughs> no, this movie gives off an everywhere USA kind of vibe to me. Mm-hmm. It does have its world premiere at the Sundance Film Festival on January 21st, 2018. And after the premiere, Neon acquired the film rights. AGBO signed a deal with 30 West, a company who acquired a majority stake in Neon to co-distribute the film. And that's why it's underseen and underrated. (laughs) I love Neon films, but motherfuckers need to figure out their distribution model because they keep buying amazing movies and then not getting them into anybody's hands. So it is released theatrically exactly eight months later on September 21st, 2018. And it was released alongside films like Eli Ross, The House of the Clock on Its Walls, that sappy movie Life Itself, and Michael Moore's latest documentary, which I did not know existed, um, Fahrenheit 11 9. Yeah, like I, I did the same thing. I went hunting to see what else came out September mm-hmm. 2018. The only other kind of like high auteur horror <laughs> was, <laughs> the, was The Nun. I think that oh, came out that September 2018. Oh, yeah, and that movie did gangbusters. It made like 40 million opening weekend, or maybe it was 60 actually. 
Yeah, I think it was higher. Yeah. Well, this movie did poorly, uh, to put it mildly. <laughs> <laughs> it was projected to gross around $4 million its opening weekend from about 1,400 theaters, but it ended up debuting to just $1 million, finishing mm. 15th at the box office making it one of the worst opening weekends for a wide theatrical release of nearly 1,500 theaters. It would go on to gross $2 million in the U.S. and $840,000 in other territories. Yikes. For a worldwide total of $2.9 million, which is less than half of its $7 million production budget. So this was one of the biggest box office bombs of 2018. Oh, man. In its defense... A lot of movies, September 2018, were box mm. office bombs. So, you know what? This movie's in good company. Something about that particular <laughs> month in 2018 was just like, if you weren't the nun, you weren't getting none. So, oh, like, <laughs> that was <laughs> <laughs> subtitle for this episode. <laughs> I mean, that, I don't. I don't even know what to say. Right? I definitely didn't see this in theaters, and I. I don't know why I didn't. I just. I mean, maybe it was because like it, it just dropped out of theaters after a while. I yeah. just. I don't think it was well marketed or no. distributed. I mean, that theater count is really low for a movie being released in the later 2010s. But it just felt like every time I talked to people about this movie, I. I'm going to tempt my own horn. I was a big early advocate because I got to see it at TIFF. But even then, you know, I walked out and there was a lot of people just saying, who the fuck was that movie for? What was that movie even trying to do? It was so on the nose. So so I think it always had an uphill battle, but then it just didn't get anywhere. So people couldn't see it even if they wanted to. I find that interesting. I mean, I I, I get mainstream audiences not flocking to this movie, and I get word of mouth maybe being negative because it is like that. I'm surprised the festival crowd wasn't more embracing for of it. I think it's... It's one of those things where if the film is too big and in your face, like the editing style in this movie, I I could see people arguing, oh, it's egregious. It's so just over the top, ridiculous, like Mm -hmm. it doesn't need to be this stylized as though anything needs to be stylized. But (laughs) I mean, I look at this and I think of crime films from the 90s, like back when Tarantino was starting to blow up and everybody was doing imitators like it has that indie energy vibe to me which I really gravitate to but I can understand why other people might find it too exhausting I mean it is a kinetic ride like this movie is a roller coaster <laughs> if, yes. if, if there was a better description for it like it's just yeah it's it's a ride <laughs> mm-hmm. now what's what's interesting about this film is I think perhaps it's one of those films that came out quote unquote, like before it's time or before this whole genre, you know, like really kicked off, which is really sad because obviously this was 2018 Mm -hmm. and this was before the quote unquote, you know, renaissance of this type of film. But well, here's the thing. So because this movie, I mean, we've we've already discussed it a little bit, but like it's it's very much a Trump's America type thing. Yes. Mm -hmm. I think the issue is when you release a movie that is critiquing the current political climate we are living in, people don't want to go see that. Mm -hmm. Like, I think right now we can look back. I mean, I mean, obviously, like, we're not out of it. Like we're still like in the political turmoil all the time. But I think this is a harder movie to watch when Trump is president. (laughs) And so I think people were just like, I can't watch that right now. I mean, maybe not everyone, but I feel like that may have been a part of it. 
I think that, and this is about a year after Me Too is really starting to gain movement, because mm-hmm. to me, this is like a, a two-hander, right? One is it's very much about a politicized conservative vibe that's going on in the country, like a puritanical hypocrisy. And then there's also the like way that we treat and don't believe women. And it's also a teen film, which is already going <laughs> to be off-putting to a lot of people. I've, I've talked a couple of times about how older people just don't like teen films and particularly teen girls and yeah so like we're living through two different political movements maybe which no one is ready to talk about at the time but it's funny because i saw a lot of people throw this film into the same camp as the black christmas remake where they just said like oh it's so heavy-handed with its moral messaging like i don't need to be talked down to this way blah, 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 blah. but okay here's the thing though black christmas is not a satire this movie is a satire and I, I saw so many people that were like, oh, this really isn't very believable. Like, like no no one would do this. Like, yeah, but- <laughs> to which I say, give it two years. Give it two no, years. <laughs> I know. And, 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 and two years after this, you know, the January 6th, insur- 6th insurrection would happen. But at the same time, even if that wasn't the case, because I mean, again, mm-hmm. I, do I believe that a town would do this? Like, not really. But it's like a heightened world. Like, this yes. is satire. It's not meant to be hyper realistic. If anything, it's, um, it's like elevated realism. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm going to take a brief detour and okay. like if you look at the other films that came out in 2018 as far as horror it was a phenomenal year for oh, horror. it's one of the best okay? yes yeah like we had hereditary right we had the halloween remake we had the suspiria remake Ooh, right yeah. i mean we had a lot of phenomenal films including like the first purge which yes. actually when i was watching assassination nation i immediately thought of the purge movies oh 100 yes. percent. yeah yeah, yeah which uh, when you say the first purge you mean the fourth one that's the prequel not the first Purge. <laughs> correct <movie. laughs> correct the, the first purge 2018 <laughs> yes this movie is light years better than the first purge the first purge i think is very bad like that movie does does tackle trump in a way more on the nose way that i think is much less successful than this film in my opine the the better purge movies are interestingly the ones directed by people of color i'm gonna just i'm gonna just throw Ooh. my hat in the ring mm-hmm. on that one so the first purge 2018 was directed uh by a black director and the most recent which was uh the for the, the forever purge is that yes. right mm-hmm. yeah latino director i'm gonna just put that out there i'm gonna throw my hat in the ring i will respectfully disagree with you about the first purge but <laughs> but i i do really like the forever purge and i mm-hmm. really didn't think i was going to like that movie worked for me a lot better than i thought it was going to <laughs> and i i think what's great about the purge movies i hope we're, we're probably going to close this out about the purge but <laughs> oh you're fine you're fine <laughs> The Purge movies, I think each of them has something for everyone. Yeah. And they are all very prescient and like Mm -hmm. eerily, scarily, like prescient, like Mm -hmm. actually quite fortune tellers in the, in that respect i mean it's a thing where it's like people that would never happen i'm like okay but you're missing the point like if you can't jump over that that hurdle of like this could never happen like you're not going to like be able to even engage with this movie in any shape way or form you've just got to roll with it and mm-hmm. that kind of is the same thing you have to do with this movie yeah i would build on what danny's saying in terms of prescience and also what you're saying trace which is that it it's not that these films are suggesting this is what's literally going to happen. It's that we are on the road to something equivalent to this. Like, mm-hmm. this film doesn't feel 
that far off to me until everyone in town starts picking up guns. But up until the point, like, when we're talking about slut shaming and people Mm -hmm. getting doxxed and that kind of stuff, like, yeah, babies, we're living in that world. That's where we're at. Yeah. Yeah. The swatting era, right? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Lord. Well, while this movie didn't do well with, uh, commercially, it did do better with critics. So we're looking at a 74% on Rotten Tomatoes with an average score of 6.7 out of 10. It's a 56 out of 100 on Metacritic, but on Letterboxd, we've got a 6.2 out of 10. So, I mean, that that's a pretty warm-ish reception, I think, for this film. It's not bad. It, it's actually a little bit higher than I would have thought, considering how many people I know are just like, oh, this is a movie I do not care for. <laughs> Okay, wait, wait, wait. Danny, did you like this movie? I did, actually. Okay, okay. I just I wanted to know what, what, what playing ground we were working with right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually, once, like, the credits started to roll, I was like, dang, I want more of this. Yeah. Right. <laughs> like, a TV series or, <laughs> like, a Euphoria. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, I mean, I would, I would love an Assassination Nation something. I don't know. It was... I enjoyed it, so it's, it right. is something. But um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's really all I have for production, Joe. So let, let let's just get into the meat of this. Okay. So, as we teased, we begin with a ninety-five second pre-title card sequence in voiceover. Lily Coulson, played by Odessa Young, tells us this is the story of how my town, Salem, lost its motherfucking mind. And what follows is a Norman Rockwell-esque tracking shot set to Ennio Morricone's Violenza in Atessa as a little boy rides a tricycle down a suburban street filled with people wearing purge-style masks. (laughs) So Lily continues her voiceover saying that she and her friends are probably going to be killed and that what comes next is a little graphic. And then we get a text message ding followed by 28 trigger warnings, uh, which are accompanied by snippets of of out-of-context footage. And folks, if it sounds like I'm going really in-depth here, it's actually because I've written a piece on this opening 95 seconds for Anatomy of a Scream. What? You wrote something? Shut up. (laughs) (laughs) It's because I know we talk a lot about things like cold opens and how they function in horror films, like you're setting the mood, you're setting the tone, you're maybe Mm -hmm. doing a scare sequence to get people people excited and amped up and then you settle in for the ride i think that this film has one of the best opening sequences in terms of telling you exactly what this film is going to deliver so these trigger warnings include things like bullying blood abuse classicism death drinking drug use sexual content toxic masculinity homophobia transphobia guns nationalism racism kidnapping murder plus attempted the male gaze rape attempted sexism death sexism swearing torture violence gore murder weapons and the longest one of all is fragile male egos which on my rewatch today i was like because i was like oh they're probably just showing like 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 the footage that appears with them it actually is footage from the rest of the movie so it actually mm-hmm. is spoiling the rest of the movie for you <laughs> yes yes exactly this movie is synthesized in this sequence and then all of this ends and we get our visual introduction to the four protagonists so we see lily we see bex who's played by harry neff as well as sisters m who's played by abra and sarah who's played by suki waterhouse and they're all 
they kind of mix and mingle, right? Like sometimes they look innocent, like they're just teen girls hanging out in a fantasy bedroom with blue lighting. And then sometimes they look a little bit dangerous and they're wearing these iconic red trench coats, which are inspired by the film that they watch later, uh, the Japanese film Stray Cat Rock Delinquent Girl Boss from 1970. And at that point, then we get the title card. I'm really glad that you meant that you said, yeah, you're right. Like you will know within the first minute and a half if this movie is for you or not. So I'm like thinking again of movies, like what is, what are movies where it's like, oh, like they, they get it out of the way right away. Mm -hmm. And I know you said it was a deep cut earlier, Joe, but you know what it reminds me of is the opening scene of detention. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God, folks, Trace is just teasing you. Like stay tuned for some detention in our future. Just maybe maybe a little bit. Um, Did you say Abra, by the way? (laughs) Is it Abra? I mean, I'm only going based off the Pokemon Abra, but I'm assuming it's Abra, like Abracadabra. Oh, my God. Didn't we have the session when we talked about Dr. Sleep, too? I know. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, uh. I do like all these girls, though. I will. The only issue I have, though, is that the, the Sarah and Am, the siblings, so Sookie mm-hmm. Waterhouse and Abra, I do think they are a bit underserved in this oh, sure. film. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah, this is very much Lily's film with a generous helping of Bex. And then Mm -hmm. uh, that was actually one of my big complaints the first time I saw it, is I thought it it propositions that this is a central foursome, but really it's Lily's film and everybody else is kind of in the background, which is disappointing because you went to all of the trouble to make sure that you cast a person of color best friend as well as a trans best friend. Mm -hmm. And then you still gave the dominant majority narrative to the pretty white girl. Yeah. I mean, Odessa Young is fantastic in this role, though. Oh, yeah. She is giving a performance. It's great. (laughs) Yeah, you'd never know she was Australian. You'd never know. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Danny. Love it. I'm a person of many talents, what can I say? <laughs> and cutting a bitch up is one of them. <laughs> uh, okay, so so that's our, our primer. We got this title card, and we start the film off, just in case you were like, well, okay, that wasn't, you know, I'm on this movie's vibe, whatever, let's settle in. No, the very first scene that we see is Lily being sexually gagged and videotaped by her boyfriend mark who was played by bill skarsgård <laughs> and then lily regrets showing us that so she says no just skip over that and then we follow her as she has a brief interaction with her former babysitting client nick mathers who was played by joel McHale, playing against type and it's awesome yeah this reminded me of something and i couldn't quite put my finger on it but i do love this idea of People who we naturally associate with feel-good characters showing up and then just being absolute garbage or total pricks. Like, we talked a lot about, you know, the Courtney Cox, Gail Weathers combination, Mm -hmm. but I do feel like there's a bunch of men who like to do this. Like, I guess I'm thinking of the promising young women guys and so on. Mm, Yeah. So... Uh, Nick Mathers lives across the street from M and Sarah, so that is actually where Lily is going. And as she goes inside, she gets a text message from Daddy. And we're not supposed to know that this is the Joel McHale character. Spoilers. They're one and the same. But for the majority of the first half of the film, Lily will just get these very sexually suggestive messages from Daddy. I mean, I don't know. Do you think it's supposed to be a reveal that it, that he's daddy? I didn't clock it until nearly when they reveal it in the film the first time I watched it. But then when you rewatch it, knowing what you know, you're like, oh, 
Yes. Yeah. Like she just interacted with him and then turned around and walked away. And he's like, I want to fuck you real bad. <laughs> Maybe it's just my like intuition as a film goer. Like mm-hmm. scenes usually don't happen in film, you know, in a movie unless it's going to like come up later or. Right. And it was also just really awkward. So I was like, oh, there's something. Mm-hmm. between the yeah so either <laughs> either something i was like okay either something happened with the dad something happened with the child like right. some something happened <laughs> oh because her her bullshit excuse of oh well, i need to prepare for you know university or college prep and that kind of stuff you're like what it's a babysitting gig like mm-hmm. this this is not that demanding yeah you can study while you watch the the baby, you know, mm-hmm. the baby's on the tablet or the phone or whatever. <laughs> yeah, you're clearly adept at social media. Just give that child a cell phone and like, off you go. <laughs> so she goes inside and this is where uh, we learn that Bex is exchanging texts with Diamond, who is played by Danny Ramirez, and he is described as the Latino Tom Cruise. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he just looks like a super hot dude, but apparently he's got a big dick because, of course, we do get a gray sweatpants comment. I will say, I mean, like, I, I know there have been mainstream releases that have dealt with transgender characters and stuff before, but the way, mm-hmm. I mean, and of course, the, Bex's storyline does obviously go into some very transphobic places. Right. But I do applaud this movie for having, I mean, again, like the sex scene we get with her and Diamond, I'm like, I am shocked that this is in this movie because it's not, it's just not something you see in mainstream releases very often or ever. Yeah, I remember knowing that Harry Neff was a trans woman before I went into this because it it seemed like it was that kind of film, right? Like, mm-hmm. I actually saw one reviewer say that this is the, the liberal meme of like the future that we all envision where it's like, oh, we've got uh, sexually active progressive women feminists uh including a person of color and a trans friend and you're like okay sure that's a little (laughs) bit dismissive but you know kind of case in point right it's actually not an invalid point but i didn't i don't know i i guess i'm just used to a character like teenage characters not being super sexual in this manner and then also not actually giving any sexual agency to a trans character right Mm-hmm. I was I was delightfully just like it was just a delight to have, you know, a trans character in a film and the love interest doesn't like misgender them. Mm-hmm. I don't recall Diamond like, spe- you know, specifically or explicitly saying any like transphobic well slurs, but I do know he was obviously, you know, pressured and swept up into the literal lynch mob. We're going to get there, but, yeah. you know. Well, but I mean, the, the only thing is, so the sex scene, it was like, okay, like, like, yay, I'm glad this is here. But unfortunately, it does end very sadly, right? Yes, because it he's, does. Because he says, don't tell anyone. And yeah, I'm sure that that probably comes, I, I wouldn't be surprised if that comes from Harry Neff's, uh, like, if it maybe is a real story that she's dealt with before. Hmm. Yeah, like now that was the part that I was like, damn, <laughs> I was yeah. like, oh, like we were like, we were almost there. But it was like, so sad and so like true to life that, you yes. know, I love you, but I can't be seen with you. Mm-hmm. Like, I have to, cl- I have to closet you. So and I love yeah. that the film, I'm sorry, are we even, we're not even, at, we, we're, we're not quite there yet, but we can okay. talk about it. No, well, I, I at least love and I, I know it's like, I love that the film gives us gives Bex this moment to. Like we watch her cry for a good like fifteen seconds mm-hmm. after after Diamond leaves. So I love that the film. I mean, it is clear that the film has empathy for Bex. 
Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I complain that this is Lily's story, but I do think that Bex is a strong supporting character slash like kind of co-protagonist and the film is very interested in giving her her own agency her own kind of storyline it does Mm -hmm. definitely delve into like you could argue fairly easily that bex gets the worst treatment of all i mean Mm -hmm. obviously m and sarah's mom is murdered and that's pretty fucking upsetting but they are not singled out for lynching as danny suggested I guess since we're talking about it, maybe I'll bring in a piece that Harmony Colangelo wrote called Assassination Nation and the Transgender Gaze. And Harmony talks about, you know, a range of different issues in terms of why she likes this movie and what she thinks it's doing a little bit differently. But specifically about this scene, she mentions Diamond gets to walk away from whatever shame being associated with trans and queer topics would mean socially and gets to hide away in his simple pre-information leak life. It's unfair and it sucks that he can essentially wash his hands of their interaction if he so chooses, but that is how life works. It's not how it should be, and the emphasis is hers, but this is how it is and how it has always been. He has that privilege. Yeah, we hate to see it, right? Well, but also, Danny, even you mentioning, like, oh, he doesn't misgender her or anything. Um, This is also a movie, and we'll talk about this, I'm sure, when we get to Principal Terrell, but the people that are attacking Terrell in in the press conference and then during the lynching scene, mm-hmm. there aren't any N-words that are dropped. And no. there is no misgendering done by the people that are attacking these, which I thought, I mean, that has to have been a deliberate choice. And I think it's very inter- it's a very interesting choice. Yeah, mm-hmm. I was actually really surprised by that. Like, I was waiting like any second, any yeah. second for, for that to just like start flying. I was like, because I had my subtitles on. So mm-hmm. I was like, oh boy. Well, the only use of the T-slur is done by the women in the film. It's not done by any of the antagonists. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Now that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's that's another thing to like get into how trans misogyny operates in like women's spaces as well. Like, mm-hmm. like we're all in this swirling nexus of crap trying to unlearn so much of this toxicity. Mm-hmm. That that you know, obviously, we've learned from elder generations, and you know, we're like pushing back. Like each generation is like pushing back and pushing back against like just like seeing people's full humanity and like like why why be ignorant anymore? I'm like we're in the 2020s. I'm like, well, it's interesting that you say that, Danny, because Trace and I have had a number of conversations about a appropriating or reappropriating harmful words right like i have a very negative reaction to the f slur like i i don't use it to refer to myself or any of my friends because i don't think that we've reached the level where it doesn't still have that negative stigma connotation to it and i i don't know like i can't speak for members of the trans community but i don't know i i get the impression the t slur hasn't been appropriated either but maybe it's an individual case-by-case basis uh no well it's because i i I, when we started this podcast joe i was very much um on your same page about the f slur in the three years since we've started i've actually uh, saying i came around to it has sounds really really bad (laughs) but um i i have co-opted the f slur into not my everyday language but um i definitely use it i'm I'm not a Sorry, not afraid sounds bad too. I'm um I'm not resistant to using it. Um I, I do I have found empowerment in it, but that being said, I, 
that's my personal thing. Like, I would never, ex- I would never push that on someone or expect anyone else to feel the same. But we're also talking about different kinds of spaces, right? Like, oh, you would never sure. say that in a public space. But even like, Danny, what you were suggesting is like, you know, there's female spaces where you might say different things or use different kinds of languages. And I'm wondering if maybe that's part of this co-opting as well, right? Like, Trace, I'm imagining it's like when you're among close friends or when you're like nestled in your apartment and you're having a movie watch and you're like, we're just having a really good time, but we all understand what I mean when I say this phrase. Um, Yes, 100%. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. That's very important too, which is actually what I really loved about, which is why I wish like, like you mentioned, um, Abra and Sarah had been more incorporated into the story because mm-hmm. obviously they were like they were like lock and key friends mm-hmm. like <laughs> like arm and arm chain link friends so it would have been really nice to maybe get an additional scene somewhere or you know maybe even a little bit longer stretched out scene where like you mentioned like they're just talking they're they're you know kind of exploring like you're talking about the the power dynamics that you know by being friends by being in community with each other right um would afford you like as friends and as family because i'm gonna just like yeah i think they're all family in my opinion Mm -hmm. the way they rely on each other and everything else i think i think family is appropriate well am i wrong in suggesting that m and sarah are actually sisters because don't they both live there with Nance? They are sisters. Right. They but are. I didn't know if Sarah was adopted or mm-hmm. if it was a bi. I mean, never, it doesn't really matter if it's biological or adopted, whatever. But yeah, no, they they, they are sisters. They are they okay. are considered sisters. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's one of those things where it it took me a while to parse that out. I mm-hmm. I originally just thought, oh yeah, they're besties, and Sarah's always over at M's house. And well, it's but like, that's no. A, I, correct me if I'm wrong. There isn't a scene where they explain that, right? Not really. No, it it's. I think there's a line where it's like, "That's my sister" or something. Well, yeah, but 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 there's no there's no line of dialogue that's like, "Oh yeah, like she she's my dad's daughter from his first marriage." Mm-hmm. I like that because that's the movie saying, "No, no, no, we're gonna explain all this other stuff to you, but this is something that doesn't need to be explained at all. Mm-hmm. It's just it, it it's two sisters of different races that are, are sisters. That's it. There you go. Bam." Yeah. I mean, it. you could argue that this film has, I mean, you could very easily argue that this film has a politicized agenda. <laughs> I, I guess I'm circling back to close the loop on the fact that we don't have uh, an Ensler or we don't have uh, right. something more. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. it's hard not to believe that those weren't deliberate choices on the part of Levinson and his actresses. Because I did note a couple of criticisms lobbied in reviews where people said, I can't believe that no one would have said that to Terrell when he gets fired or when they're saying, you know, uh, lock him up as though they wouldn't say something else. And I was lock just like, it, lock it, lock the N word up mm-hmm. yeah. or or something worse. Right. And I do think it's a deliberate decision that Levinson made, if only because he I don't think he wanted to necessarily go down that trigger path like he has so many other things that he wants to explore he rightly or wrongly depending on how you're reading this film doesn't want to engage in also a racial debate 
I think, and, and again, y'all can disagree with me here. I think the idea is, because I think if you have those words being thrown out by the antagonist of this film, that really, th then that's where your mind is going to go. In, during, uh, they're distracting. And I think what Levinson is doing here, though, he, his, he's critiquing like a system. He's critiquing, it's like a systemic thing. Whereas, I'm not saying that obviously using those words is not wrong. It is wrong, but that's not the wrong that he's like. He wants to focus on other wrongs. Exactly. Exactly. He's like focusing on that is not going to help solve the problem. We need to address the actual like deep seated issues here outside of just what words people say. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. There's also certain things where if you say it in a film, you will never be able to get me to relate to a character. And I think even some of the antagonists of this film, like uh, the homophobic jock Johnny. football player Johnny, um, you know, even the girls themselves, they really don't have empathy for Mayor uh, Bartlett after yeah. he dies yeah. by suicide. And I think there's just certain things where if a character says a phrase it doesn't matter what you do to them in the film. I'm not going to forgive them. And the N-word is, to me, one of those words. I will yeah. not relate to a character that says that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, so speaking of Mayor Bartlett, uh, as everybody's getting ready to go out partying, oh, we should know, because this is a teen film, we basically barely meet any adults or any yeah. parents. <laughs> so these kids are just out partying and drinking all the time. Trace, very euphoria for when you get there. <laughs> Again, I'm watching this. this like, I'm just like, where the... That was not my high school, y'all. <laughs> no. <laughs> I was like, I didn't have... Maybe I just wasn't invited to parties like that, but like, I could... I, I don't know how people have these parties. And seemingly I don't, I don't weekdays. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, school, school nights, mm -hmm. apparently. Just like, oh, I'm at home doing homework. Okay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so they're at this party when Mayor Bartlett, who is played by Colin Moss, all of his private cross-dressing kink photos are leaked. Wait, so I actually have a question for y'all. Because so the the hacker, um, Aristratus, he sends the stuff to Marty, played mm -hmm. by Noah Galvin. And I really wondered, so Noah Galvin, I don't know if y'all know, like he's he's like Ben Platt's boyfriend or maybe ex-boyfriend or something. But um, right. He has 100% have had his nudes leak because I have 100% seen his wiener. Okay. And <laughs> I wonder if that was like intentional casting on the director's part. <laughs> yeah. Um, mm. Bella Thorne later on, right? right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Bella Thorne, who has maybe five lines of... Oh, <laughs> this is what I love. The credits, it is with Bill Skarsgård, with Joel McHale, and Bella Thorne. <laughs> Folks, you are underestimating Bella Thorne's appeal. Let's not forget she was cast as the opening kill in that Scream TV show for a reason. She is a huge fucking deal. Bitch, I'm Bella Thorne. <laughs> Bitch, I'm Bella Thorne. Bitch, I'm Bella Thorne. <laughs> That's a song. I hate Bella Thorne. It's her song. <laughs> it's like Britt Robertson and then Bella Thorne for me. It's how okay, much here's I the thing. Her. I, I know people don't like Bella Thorne. I... I like that she plays into these mean girls. I don't mm. think she's self-aware about it as an actress. I don't, I, I you know, but I'm not going to shit on this actress, whatever. But like, right. I like that she plays into this role of like what people think she is. It's almost Paris Hilton-y in a way to me. Uh, yeah, I can see that for this particular film, for sure. Like, like a, like a slight wink, like mm. at the audience, kind of. Yeah, like I'm not, I'm playing a role, you guys. It's not Bella Thorne, but I'm Bella Thorne. <laughs> <laughs> and don't you want to see me get struck in the head by a baseball bat? Wink. Yes. <laughs> oh, that scene. That scene. So cool. <sighs> and she does not die, right? No, she does not. 
Okay, okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, worth noting as well that this movie actually does a really excellent job of casting really up-and-comers and or people where you think, oh, good get on that person. And a lot of queer actors, because Bella Thorne is bi, uh, Noah Gavin is gay, and um, who else do we have? We have the a blink and you'll miss a cameo from one of the actors from midnight kiss. Oh yes. Lucas Gage. Um, he's go. the one that holds down Odessa young whenever Bill Skarsgård's trying to look at the birthmark on her back. Mm. And then Coleman Domingo, is he bisexual or is he gay? I'm trying to remember. Oh, right. He, I only I, just recently learned that. I didn't, I don't think I knew that. <laughs> yeah. Also, it feels like, I mean, because I've seen, like, I feel like with this year, like, Coleman Domingo's name has come up on so many things. I know. What a blessing. Mm-hmm. He's great. And he looks fucking good in this movie. Yes, he does. It was actually wild, um, obviously, because you haven't seen Euphoria. Trace. Hair I know. I know. But <laughs> hair flick. <laughs> hair I flick. do have an, so I, 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 he is definitely queer in some shape, way, or form, because he's been married to Raul mm. Domingo since 2014. Oh, Yay. So Maud Apatow, who plays Grace, is mm-hmm. Lexi Howard on Euphoria. Coleman Domingo, um, obviously, is a mm-hmm. recurring character on Euphoria. Even, you know, um, even, let's say, in our show notes, right, a lot of people who were, you know, key, you know, linchpin people as far as, like, cinematography and so on and so forth. Sam was like, come with me. Come with me to HBO. Yeah, he's got his crew, right? <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which we always love. I love to see people follow talent. They keep it in the family. It's like Mike Flanagan and his cast, like his uh, squadron yes. of actors. Right? Exactly. Yes. And yeah. to a lesser extent... Uh... <laughs> American Horror Story, Ryan Murphy, and so on. Yes, yeah. mm-hmm. yes, but but also, I mean, like we we've seen this over the years in the podcast. It's not just actors; like a lot of directors will also keep the same crew from film mm-hmm. to film. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. Yeah. So we're at the party, and Bartlett's pictures are a source of, uh, I mean, gentle mockery. If we're being fair to these teens, I mean, mm, yeah. I mean, that, that, that's when we start getting that T slur thrown around when he's, I. Uh, I mean, he's just wearing cl- women's clothes, isn't he? But there's a mention that he is being fucked in mm. some of the photos that we don't see. Gotcha. Which I'm surprised we don't see some of those photos, given mm-hmm. all the content warnings. But whatever. <laughs> uh, yeah, once again, shout out to Euphoria. And it's just plethora of dicks in a bunch of episodes well maybe it's supposed to be like a funny game situation though where it's the the film is saying like why do you want to see these photos like Mm -hmm. why 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 do you want us to show you the rest of them audience right yeah it actually doesn't really show us nudity in that regard like we don't see nudity in this film i yeah yeah you're right you're right so M and Bex put on a show because, of course, Bex is trying to court Diamond and Lily ends up fighting with Mark and they're basically just not a very good couple at the best of times. He is clearly misusing slash abusing her and we're we get the return of voiceover and this is the sort of first glimpse that there's a lot more going on to lily than meets the surface like we see her she's a pretty girl she's posting for photos she's saying kind of like glib very shallow things to her friends but her interior monologue is like oh you have to be appreciative of what you've got because it's all going to fall apart and people expect you to lie. And if you're not their perfect pretty princess, then, you know, what are you? So it's like, oh, 
she's very smart and wise, but she's keeping it all to herself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, Lily ends up taking pictures for daddy and Bex goes off to have sex with Diamond. He ends up going soft and then that's when he asks her to keep the hookup quiet and she cries. Yeah. And again, like, I, I do think that keeping in this moment of watching her cry, I mean, it's it's not cruel. Sorry, what Diamond did to her is cruel, but I think it's really, really important that the movie leave this in. I mean, here's the thing. The first time I saw this, I didn't think he was saying, like, don't tell anyone about us. I thought he was saying, don't tell anyone that I couldn't keep my dick hard. And then it's only later on when you realize, oh, no, he also was looking to keep that relationship quiet. Okay, so I'm going to say something and we might have to cut this out. Okay. I didn't know Hari Neff was trans when I first watched this movie. And so I felt the same way about this scene. I wasn't really understanding what the issue was. And I think that's when we get into, and this is the part I might need to cut out, um, passing. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. I, I don't even like using that term. And again, like, let me know. Well, it's, um, a le- but it's a legitimate term. It's legitimate. And I think, though, that, I mean, at least for me as a viewer, like, I, I didn't know that this actress, much less this character, was transgender. Okay. I mean, this is the moment where you're supposed to figure it out because the film has gone out of its way to be like, yeah, she's a regular fucking person. We're not going to cue you to say like, and there's our trans character for the film. Like, so I, I think you're meant to go for the passing. And then for most people, this is that moment of realization. And if not, then you'll pick it up later. It, for me, I pick it up in the pool sequence when they're talking about Mayor Bartlett. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Because she just flat out says it. You know, I was persecuted by his uh, yeah. family first anti-LGBTQIA agenda. Well, and Lily has that line where it's like, yeah, but you had the courage to be yourself. And then we kind of get a little bit of dialogue about that. I fucking love Bex's response. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, oh, yeah, I had the courage to be who I am. And you could just be like, Lily's like, oh, that, no, that's not what I meant. Uh, uh, uh. Yeah, but I mean, it's it's a conversation between friends, right? Yes. Like, it's it, 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 there's not like anger in the. I mean, there is anger about Mayor Bartlett, but there's not anger at, at them towards each other in mm-hmm. this conversation. The thing I like the most about Bex as a character, though, is that she also won't let shit stand. Like, she's not about to let a slip like that get away from Lily. So she's going to firmly remind her, like. No, bitch, I, I'm not brave for fucking being who I am. This is who I am. Like, it doesn't... Because I think, I'm going to speak for myself, as somebody outside of the trans community, but with a number of people I like to consider friends within the trans community, mm-hmm. I often project what I think their experiences must be like, and then I always have to pull myself back and be like, no, you don't have a fucking clue what their experience is like. You can sympathize, you can empathize, but at the end of the day, these are different lived experiences. And I love that Bex recognizes that even while Lily probably wasn't meaning to offend here, it's like, no, bitch, I am going to correct you because you don't know. Yeah, you know, this movie was also just like... (sighs) So I identify as non-binary. Obviously, that's like a part of the trans family, right? Mm -hmm. So some non-binary people are trans. Some people identify with one versus the other. But it was just so refreshing to like see a young person, especially at Bex's age, like having the space, having the autonomy and having the, we didn't see Bex's parents, but 
we saw that obviously whoever was raising Bex, right, made an environment that was safe mm-hmm. and validating, you know, for their transition. It was like a delight to, you know, have a character who is like in complete control and like agency and mm-hmm. not spiraling, you know, mm-hmm. like we've we've seen that trope that character before the spiraling (laughs) trans person so to see you know like so many young trans and non-binary kids now who are just like yep this is me Mm -hmm. period (laughs) that's all there is to it i'm well adjusted i know who the fuck i am and cool let's get on with it right yeah yeah and the movie doesn't make a big deal out of it yes which is like and oh Maybe this is belaboring the point because people have heard us say it so many times, but I'm like, I, and I think actually Harmony even mentions this. Uh, she says, like, this is the kind of representation that I'm looking for. It's not as though we don't have problems, but the problem is not necessarily like, oh, I'm fucking trans and it's really hard. It's like, no, I'm I'm trans and this guy that I want to fuck doesn't want people to know. Like, It's shitty and it's sad, but it's a realistic situation that trans people are going to deal with. But it's it's a normal situation at the same time. Like it's a very relatable thing that I think, you know, a lot of people can go through like, oh, I like that person, but they don't want to tell people about our relationship. Yeah. Cool. Okay, so the next day on route to school, the girls discuss Bartlett's press conference a little bit more. Some other recent scandals, you know, they're very informed. They're a little bit gossipy. That's fine. Yeah. There's also a fun moment where Bex breaks the fourth wall so that she (laughs) can snap request a song. And then this is where I'm like, oh, we are in a teen film because we get the classic teen slow-mo walk montage moment, right? Yes. It was very crafty. It was very the craft. Mm -hmm. It was very mean. Well, they're not mean girls, but, you know, same same trope. Yeah. Well, no, but but, uh, it's the same trope, but using it with the protagonist. And I'm I'm sorry. I guess, like, in Mean Girls, they are the protagonist of the film, but Mm -hmm. it's like, with non-mean girls we are yeah, giving yeah. we are giving the non-mean girls this walk you know this mm-hmm. isn't jawbreaker this isn't mean girls mm-hmm. and i know like the craft they are the protagonist too but you know like three of them are kind of evil <laughs> <laughs> they get there yeah but yeah it's a jarring moment though when bex she goes oh i love this song I'm like what song and she goes this song and she snaps her fingers and then yeah it just starts playing and it, it's very much a what the fuck just happened here mm-hmm. I like it, though, because I feel like it really fits within the world that Levinson has crafted, right? You know, we we haven't really talked about the way the film is shot in terms of even at the party scene, we're getting Brian De Palma-esque split screens to capture action in different angles and places. Levinson is a really visually dynamic filmmaker, and this is part of the way that he tells his story. It is a little bit of that Heineke, hey, you're still watching a movie. What are you hoping to get out of this? And right. this moment in particular is like, oh, we're in with these girls. Like, we want to know what Bex is hearing. And then when we hear it and we get the slow-mo walk, we feel like we're part of their crowd. Mm-hmm. Also, Joe, do you know what this reminds me of? What does it remind you of? Detention. <laughs> Trace. <laughs> it was different moments throughout the film, like that one, that really lets you know that regardless of what other 
you know, shit was going to hit the fan. Mm-hmm. All of our girls, like, were in complete control of the narrative. They're like, right? I'm, te- I'm telling the story. Like, mm-hmm. I'm the hero oh, yeah. of this. You know what I mean? And that is actually perfect because if you flash back to that opening 95 seconds when, you know, Lily is doing a voiceover and we've heard that used as a kind of framing or bracketing device in other films. Mm-hmm. But really, she's also already telling us, like, hey, this is my story. I'm in control of it. And then when she skips the sex scene with Mark... She's in control of that narrative as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I love that our our introduction is not they go to class, they have to learn some stupid lesson that'll come back and be important later on. It's that Lily is called in to speak with Principal Calvin Terrell, Coleman Domingo, and he wants to talk about her pornographic homework submission. And initially in this scene, I thought that it was just, oh, we're cueing the audience to know that she's an artist or something dumb like that. But really, this film is kind of the thesis of the film. Mm-hmm. This, yes. And if you don't mind, I did transcribe this because I thought this is a very, very good monologue. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he's criticizing her saying like, you know, like, why are you doing this pornographic stuff? And she replies, all you're looking at is the nudity, but this isn't about that. This isn't about sex or the porn or even being naked. This is about everything that goes into it. The pressure, the endless mindfuck, the 10,000 naked selfies you took before this one trying to get it just right, mm-hmm. trying to make sure the light hides your left nipple because it's slightly inverted or it's smaller or maybe your labia is too big. But if you pull your pelvic bone up and bend to the left slightly in the low light setting, then you'll be beautiful. Hashtag flawless. Body confident. But it's all one big lie <laughs> you can never be because nobody's flawless and all it takes is one fucking asshole to remind you of that. One guy to say lol or she's nasty and you're right back to square one. So yeah, maybe it is explicit or extreme, but it sure as hell looks like life to me. Yeah. When I watched that whole scene, it actually, okay, speaking of how old we are, I, imme- <laughs> oh, no. I, immedi- I immediately thought of Daria. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the scene, uh, or at least the the moment where Daria's friend Jane had made a really beautiful uh, painting of a girl looking, you know prettily out of a window and then the text that daria had put with the framing of the picture was like she's a winner like she couldn't be happier be thinner and then like she goes home and like vomits up dinner so like the juxtaposition of the art and the text so what the principal wanted to do in the episode was that they wanted to strip the text and just keep the pretty image of course yeah so like in the scene in the movie i was like flashback Well, and it's so important, too, because we've already gotten scenes of these girls and their so-called perfect life, right? You know, Mm -hmm. we've seen them partying and they're taking these glorious selfies, they're looking like they're having the best life. But in that very same scene was when Lily was talking about how it's all super fake and she has to put on this facade because Mm -hmm. people are waiting for her to fall and it'll all be broken. So. This is just her actually vocalizing it. Importantly, it's to maybe the only adult that she actually trusts and respects her. Mm-hmm. It's another opportunity for the movie to showcase Lily is smart. And this adult figure who seems very rational, very put together, is telling us and her she can go to whatever school she wants. She's got a good head on her shoulders. So it's really important early in the film because it's like this is going to be important later when 
everybody thinks that she's just a dumb slut who is contributing to adultery. Yeah. But in the moment, he says, well, you are still in high school, and there's a limit to what you can say. So I do think, speaking of juxtaposition, Danny, this is when she then goes immediately to the bathroom and takes, like, tick pics for daddy. Right. That part, like... Ooh, that now that was a thread in the movie that I wish had gotten kind of explored a little bit more because obviously you saw her relationship with the father in her household. Mm-hmm. And then obviously this dominant submissive right. relationship that she's built with this man across the street or diagonal or whatever. It's very like, huh, there's something psychological going on here. Well, it's also, um, I don't know, maybe kinky is the right word for it, mm-hmm. but like, cause like mm-hmm. what he, the text he sends her during this exchange is go back to class, you delinquent slut. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Which is funny, right? Because he's criticized, well, or he's playing into the academic insecurity slash like, well, you're stupid. And also... He's equating that with sexual availability, which is like the opposite of what we just found her to be, right? She is not a delinquent and she is not a slut. But that's the, th- I mean, okay. I mean, she can't be both, to be fair. Well, no, but, but but that's also, like, part of, I mean, again, when it comes to sex and kink play, I mean, like, I'm not speaking for everyone here, but, like, you know, I mean, like, so, uh, sometimes you'll have people that are very dominant and controlling in their mm-hmm. day-to-day life. So in the bedroom, they like to be very submissive and right. vice versa. So it, it, it this kind of plays into that dynamic for me. Right. Yeah. And obviously, Mr. Uh, Nick Mathers doesn't know how to play because, like, there wasn't a lot of consent. There wasn't any safe wording. There wasn't any color or traffic light. So it's mm. very just one sided. Well, um, and they haven't actually had, they haven't been physical with each other yet, have they? No. Because, and that was what I was, because we yeah. don't find that out, I think, until he's about to rape her at the end of the movie. Right. And that was very surprising to me. So this is purely like a power play with their conversations. Mm-hmm. Like that is what this mm-hmm. is. But it's also we learn later that he's been grooming her because he's been doing right. this for like at least a couple years. Yes. 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 Correct. I think she's fifteen or sixteen. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, oh no, please, yeah. no, not this, not this. <laughs> I'm like, what did I just watch with grooming? Cruel Summer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What a grooming in my life lately. Ah, such good times, yeah. Yeah. So let's meet Chief Patterson, who is played by J.D. Evermore, and he is trying to get Mayor Bartlett's pornography off the internet, and to his (laughs) shock, you can't just remove images from the internet anymore. He's like, you can't fight the internet. (laughs) Yeah. Important message to boomers, right? So we we get a bunch of the public registering their disgust over this controversy. And then we follow Mayor Bartlett as he goes into his press conference. And then he publicly shoots himself in the face in front of everyone. And forgive me if you said this, but this is a man who is pushing anti-LGBTQ laws into effect. Yeah. And one of the things that I found provocative, but also very appropriate, is that we kind of like... We don't really get to see the gunshot, but then we get to see it replayed in different formats on social media. And you're just like, yep, because that's what people do. And of course, Lily's younger brother will mention something about like, oh, I watched a family get eaten by lions later and nobody cares. Like, we don't care about watching people get killed on the internet either. Um, 
Okay, so that I have a quote from Levinson too, because obviously, um, a lot of this, you know, it, it could go back to the Sony hack or the mm-hmm. leak of all like of the actress like private photos from I guess what a couple of years probably before this came out. Yeah, because we talked about it on Mother last week. It was about yeah, yes. uh, twenty sixteen, I think. Yeah, so, and he would have been writing this probably like within the year after that happened, but. Mm-hmm. You know, he says, well, I remember that happening. He goes, I always remember. It's like you read some article and in the article, they just link to it. Here's the link to read this person's emails, this person's photos. And what fascinated me about it and also troubled me about it was the industry that hacks and leaks create, the sheer economics of it. They tend to outweigh everything else. Even if you're writing a think piece against this invasion of privacy, those people are still linking mm-hmm. to the photos, to the emails, because they know it will get them clicks. Yep. This yeah. idea kept playing over and over in my head. We as a country, our lust for entertainment has sort of superseded our sense of self-preservation. Everything is spectacle. Everything is entertainment. Whether it's shame, invasion of privacy, abuse, no matter what, it has become almost a sporting event. In almost a Roman Colosseum way. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's funny, right? This isn't a new idea. I'm thinking back to the Running Man and even the Hunger Games and all this kind of stuff, right? Like, we've mm-hmm. always had this interest in spectacle and watching other people suffering. It's just that the internet has made it so much easier to do. Well, but it's also like we... And this is the general we here. We like to have the moral high ground. We like to feel better than everyone else, you know? Oh, yeah. And this allows us to do that. You know, you can look at someone, and that's where the judgment comes in. Like, you know, you can look at someone who maybe has some nude photos lately and be like, oh, well, I would never do something like that, blah, blah, mm-hmm. blah, even though. <laughs> Meanwhile, you've got them on your fucking phone. <laughs> I know. I'm like, as I'm taking a dick pic right now. <laughs> oh, my God. Trace, put it back in. We're recording. <laughs> I don't know what that sound was. I don't know what I was trying to say with that sound. <laughs> That's just the sound of my zipper. <laughs> sure, sure. Mm-hmm. Just be like, uh, that was a sound effect from detention. <laughs> Stay tuned. Uh, okay, so Principal Terrell is the next leak. And this is fascinating, right? Because we didn't know Mayor Bartlett. So he's just uh, kind of a sad anecdote that ended badly. But we actually know Principal Terrell, and we know him to be a good and fair and decent guy. And when his leak happens, people immediately start to criticize things like, oh, he's got a picture of his six-year-old, and she's naked. And like, Mm -hmm. I've had these conversations with my sister, with my friends who have young kids about whether they do or don't post photos of their children on the internet. And this is really real. Like, I know a lot of people who have these kinds of concerns like, oh, can I have a a picture of my child nude on the wall if it's a baby picture? Well, nevertheless, though, like this is these are photos that are private that are on his phone. And I, 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 I did. I I don't think this is a big issue, right? Is it the age of the, is it because she's six? Like she's six and a half years old. And so people are like, oh, that's too old for Mm -hmm. him to have naked pictures of her. Yes. I'm like, I I don't think people understand. Like six is still what? Mm -hmm. Like kindergarten? First grade, maybe? I think first or second, yeah. This goes back to Lily's monologue, though, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it doesn't have to be sexual mm-hmm. if it's nudity. So you, you as the viewer, as the looker of these photos, you are making it sexual if you are ha- jumping to this conclusion. Yeah, and that's exactly the debate that she has with her parents, Rebecca, who is played by Catherine Irby, and Lawrence, Joe Trest, at dinner. And one of my favorite things is that Lily is making really sound arguments. Like, she wants the, to debate them, and her dad 
diminishes her. He basically just says, oh, well, you love to debate us. And then they patronize her to the point where she just gets up and leaves. Yeah. Like mm. this, this to me is one of those prime examples of older generation believes that they're protecting a younger generation by effectively saying, you're too stupid to understand. Not, yeah. not only that, but it was also very, if we don't talk about it, it doesn't right. exist. <laughs> yeah. Like if it doesn't leave the domain of this house, it's not traumatic or like secret stay at home type deal yeah there there's privacy within the house and we just have to keep that in here but it also presupposes that things don't go on the internet or that you're not being listened to or tracked everywhere that you go when you have a cell phone yeah that part (laughs) well i mean literally the next scene is the hacker messaging lily saying i'm coming for you and she does not seem to care she does not take this threat seriously (laughs) no and and you start to realize when you unpack it scene by scene how thoughtfully constructed this is because the scene right after that is when the girls are in the gym and they're talking about what would happen if somebody leaked your details and lily is very candid she's like yeah i've said shit about everyone at the school uh i've definitely got disgusting nude pictures and like lewd anecdotes and that kind of stuff and then this is when reagan the bellathorn character comes in with grace played by Maud apatow and i love that the contrast here is reagan and i said deluded that's my choice of words because she's just like oh well there's two kinds of people right there's the people who have accepted that privacy is dead and then there's old people and then she goes on to talk about how she basically exploits men's interest in her as a young hot attractive girl so that she can get shit off of her amazon wish list and then they all laugh at her because they're just like oh god you think you're changing the world I mean, she's also sitting there like, I have no sympathy for people that get hacked. And it's like, it's not their fault. And I will tell y'all one thing, too. It's like, whenever it's whenever Reagan stuff gets leaked, and it's like, okay, cool. So you're getting a folder. And then it's like, here's emails, here's text, here's Mm -hmm. whatever. But then like, you open each one of those. And there's like, hundreds of things. And I'm like, who has the time (laughs) (laughs) to go through all of these things? (laughs) Yeah. It was it was like, it was like watching the burn book. You right. know, like spiral out of control. Yes. Well, it's like, look, what what would have been helpful is if Aristotle was like, "Hey, I I I read all of this shit for you, but I cherry picked the good <laughs> tidbits." That would have been very helpful, Mister Hacker. No, ain't nobody got time for that. He's like, here, take it all. So, un- unlike the burn book, where it's literally just, oh, you know, this girl is a fugly <laughs> slut. It's like, oh God, I gotta parse through thousands of pictures to find the fugly slut comment come on it's like it's like in dragon tattoo when she's going through that fucking record room and Mm -hmm. i'm like that is way too much shit (laughs) like i don't i don't have the time but you know maybe that's the critique right these people are (laughs) bored in suburbia and they do have the time to read through everyone's things well that and you're you're most interested in finding something right like it really doesn't even matter it's that I've got everything, so I will find something and spin it, right? Because that's the issue with Principal Terrell. He really doesn't have anything interesting, so people turn something innocuous into a bigger deal by sexualizing it. I mean, I get the impression with Reagan, it was probably pretty easy to find something, and with Lily, it was probably pretty easy to find, but that's also because they fall into that category of, well, privacy is dead. Like, if my shit gets leaked, people are just going to know everything. 
because I'm online all the time. So this is when Principal Terrell goes into his very combative press conference. I love that the lighting and the staging is exactly the same as when the mayor went in. So I'm already dreading there's going to be something awful. And when yeah. he refuses to resign, this is when the crowd begins to chant, lock him up. And if you didn't know that the film was being very direct and not subtle, this is pretty obvious very much so and this is the last time we see him isn't it it is yes um so we will see his house get vandalized and we will also see this scene intercut with the kids partying because they don't care about terrell because they're living their own lives and this is the most upsetting thing though right because it really uh, out of everyone not to say like he's the most innocent out of everyone that gets their photos leaked but like he really did nothing wrong like this Mm -hmm. is and that's also too where i kind of um i mean we can talk about like you know consequences culture cancel culture whatever you want but like this really feels like this feels like the most like twitter to me where it's like and obviously you know there are things there are things that are worth people getting upset about things people Mm -hmm. piling on for people saying shitty things but like this really feels like again one person made a big deal out of this picture and this man didn't deserve this for these fucking pictures you know yeah it's very sad obviously it was brief but like to see, you know, Lily still, like, try to reach out to him and be like, how are mm. you? And, like, checking mm-hmm. in and the fact that, you know, once, you know, his life is blown up like this, you know, obviously he took the executive decision, like, don't interact with any of the students. Right. Don't, you know, make this an even bigger issue. Just, like, keep my head down and, like, keep moving. Do you think it would have been an issue if he wasn't working with children? Oh. Like, do you think do you, th- mm. uh, do you think people would have cared, like, if he was a, a car salesman in this movie, you know? I wonder if that's the sticking point and again not that it's defensible either way but like if it's like you are working with our children you have these naked pictures of your six-year-old daughter pedophile right i think it was honestly an escalation of what happened to the mayor because obviously the mayor's situation was this you know sexual proclivity and now it's the principal sexual proclivity so it was (laughs) like it was like a rant it was literally like Who in the community is, you know, I guess the scary, we're a quote unquote conservative community. Like who else in the community? I mean, but there's a reason this town is named Salem, right? Mm -hmm. Like everyone is riled Mm -hmm. up over the mayor. And so they still have their emotions running high. So while I do truly believe that in a normal circumstance, like people would not bat an eye at these photos, there are, it's this mob mentality. They're already riled up. So who can we go after next? And it's this guy. Mm -hmm. Oh, sure. Because this is the story of a witch hunt and... I'm not going to pass judgment as the neighbor to the north, but Americans really have fucking issues with sex. Oh, yeah. It it makes sense that, you know, they would zero in on things. I do wonder if you stumbled on something, Trace, with the fact that, yeah, they may not have focused on this if he wasn't working with students. Mm -hmm. But I also don't believe that they wouldn't have just found something else to focus on, like... The problem with a leak is that people go looking for something. So they would have found it regardless. It just may not have been this. Oh, yeah. No, you're absolutely correct. Absolutely. He probably has a picture of him naked in a car. And he's like, if he was a car salesman, what are you doing with our cars? <laughs> oh, my God. Are you fucking the cars and then selling them to us? <laughs> wow. <laughs> Detend two. Exactly. But you know what? We don't care about any of that because let's go back to the kids so that we can talk about Bex making fun of Mark for not eating pussy. Oh, I am so happy this conversation is in here. (laughs) Here we go. Here we go. 
I, I have said in this podcast before, like, I, I, I like to, I, I'm sorry, in my younger days, I would get drunk at like big events like weddings and stuff and talk to straight men about, you know, oh, like, do you eat pussy? Because I, I've met so many, and also, do you like to eat asshole or get your asshole eaten? Because you should. But I've met so many men who were like, oh, I don't do that. And it's just like, really? Like, mm. I'm sorry, but if someone's going down, if someone's sucking your dick, the least you can do is return the favor with some cunnilingus or analingus. Get in there. It's the constant, like, are straight people okay? <laughs> like, side eye, like, you you, you would just let your partner, well, obviously they're not your partner, right? Mm. Just suffer and, like, not have orgasms and just be miserable you know, while you have the best time, live your best life. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was just like, oh, girl, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I was yeah. like, Lily, girl, I'm sorry. Right? People eat pussy, eat ass. It's good for you. <laughs> and it's good for your partner. There you go. Yeah. I mean, this this very clearly confirms, A, that Lily and Mark are not good partners to one another. Obviously, we're going to side with Lily because she's our protagonist, but... It it seems fairly evident from the fight that ensues that they have not really had conversations about this. And I do love that Lily then just goes, oh, well, Mark, will you eat my pussy? And he goes, well, I can't. I'm not. I'm pretty bad right now. Blah, blah. <laughs> You're just like, <laughs> OK, dude, sure, whatever. But I did like the way that this is contrasted with her voiceover as they're having this fight. And he's really being a fucking asshole and demeaning her with all these slurs. Uh, <laughs> having flashbacks to last week when we were talking about Jennifer Lawrence's meltdown yeah. at the end of Mother. But um, it's interesting how this gets reframed with the reason that Lily allows all this to happen is because he was her first in a number of different instances. And she is so forgiving of all of that because she has... Like he he is that one for her and you can't take that away. But he is also so clearly a fucking piece of shit. Oh, he sucks. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, good on Bill Skarsgård for taking this role because there is no humanity in this character. Like he I mean, is just a not. piece of shit. He's, pen- he's Pennywise. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. I really do wonder if he was like, oh, cool. Do I get the and credit? And they're like, no, that's going to Bella Thorne, Bill. But right. we'll give you a with. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what I had to do to get the fucking Anne credit around here. Eat her pussy? Maybe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, I can't believe we went this long and didn't, you know, talk about the fact that he's Pennywise. Well, because he's not in the movie that much. Not like, he really, has no. three. He he has the opening, his first scene. Mm-hmm. He has this scene, and then he has the scene where he, you know, abuses Lily. Yeah. But yes, it is Pennywise. <laughs> Very attractive man. <laughs> he is, indeed. Not in this film. It's hard to reconcile his attractiveness yeah. with his terrible behavior. Yeah. Quite the chameleon, I must say. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean, we, we should give it up to Mark because he does actually go down on her here. But there's an interesting performative display because it seems evident that Lily knows she's on full display in front of Nick Mathers across the street as he watches her. Yeah. So this is her kind of taking her power back in both cases. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Playing two men at once. There we go. So we're introduced to a new character because Marty has been pulled in under suspicion of being the hacker. So we've got Chi Patterson, and then we also have Officer Richter, who is played by Jeff Pope. 
and they think that they're going to be able to pin everything on Marty and call it a day. But as they're talking, half of the town's information leaks, including Diamonds, M's mom, Nance, played by Anika Noni Rose, and daddies. Mm-hmm. I like the fact that we get a scene of Lily crying because it really goes back to how she was so cavalier in the gym. Like, well, people would learn everything about me. But then when it actually happens and it's real, I mean, she's really fucking upset. Like, but here's the, I, I don't understand why she wasn't more worried after the hacker reached. Maybe she thought it was a prank. Yeah, she didn't think it was real. I mean, girl, <laughs> when they turned on your camera, it was real. <laughs> like, yeah, th- I would have been very, very terrified <laughs> if that had happened. <laughs> and, you know, I didn't even know what doxing was until literally it was someone on Twitter. They they tweeted me and they were like, oh, yeah, you do this. And I was like, how did you know that? And they go, oh, doxing. And I was like, what? What? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, what does that mean? <laughs> Oh, boy. Yeah, because that is basically what happens to her is everybody starts combing through everyone's information and with all that time they have with all the time that they've got. Well, clearly no one's paying attention in school and (laughs) the town is going bananas. So, yeah, I mean, I I can just imagine people on Zoom meetings, you know, with their phone under the desk out of the camera site looking at (laughs) like, oh, what's Reagan's pictures? Oh, shit. I mean, I'm glad both of y'all brought up Mean Girls. I even think about this being like, yeah, it's like the burn book scene, but like as a as a movie in and of itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, with far wider reaching implications. Yes. Right. <laughs> but we at least get this nice moment between Lily and Bex where like, Lily like just confesses everything to her and mm-hmm. like, Bex understands. Yeah. yeah, that moment was so sweet. Okay, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm gonna just say that moment was like very, it was giving very childhood. It was yes. very bestie mm-hmm. since little girldom with mm-hmm. like the draped over sheet. Yeah. You know, the lighting was superb. Pinkish hue, yeah. And she, I mean, and you know, Bex, Bex doesn't like necessarily let her off the hook, but she does say like, but he's like 30 years older than you or whatever the hell. <laughs> But it's an understanding moment for a friend, and it's what Lily needs right now. Right. So, Trace, again, you wouldn't know this, but on Euphoria, the hot daddy character is played by Eric Eric Dane. Dane. Mm -hmm. Yeah, only his relationship would be with the equivalent of the Harry Neff character in this. Trust me, I've read all the articles about his prosthetic wiener. Oh, yeah, there's a great article about, like, how they do all the dicks for that show. Highly recommend, (laughs) folks. I'm just gonna say wiener the entire episode. There, there's no dicks for me. It's all like, <laughs> that's what I like to say in the bedroom. Oh my god, give me your wiener. Ew. I, I don't really. Like I y'all. just had hot dogs for dinner. Come on, Oscar. that hot wiener, Oscar Mayer. <laughs> Look, Oscar Mayer did not build an empire so that we could diminish his achievements. If I was hooking up with someone named Oscar, I would 100% use the word wiener. <laughs> oh my god, can you imagine how many times poor Oscars have been hit on by like, hey. Oscar, want to show me your wiener? Give me that Oscar Mayer wiener. <laughs> oh, oh my god. Oscar, Oscar, we feel for you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the grouches. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, does Oscar the Grouch have a wiener, do you think? No, he's on a children's show. They don't have genitalia. <laughs> well, I'm sexualizing it because that's what this movie taught me to do. I was trying to think of like a, a, a word like to like, with grouch. Is there a is there a euphemism for penis that like rhymes with grouch that we can like, <laughs> oh, Oscar gosh. the pouch? I don't know. <laughs> Ew. 
You know what? Technically, they are the puppets because, you know, they mm-hmm. stop at a certain point. Technically, they are pouches, technically. So <laughs> most most of them. Speaking of ass play, puppetry, shoving your hand up there. That's fisting. Right. Which is, that's more of a consent issue. Talk to your partners about that one. Don't just assume they want to do it. I feel like we've gotten sidetracked. Let's maybe okay. move on. <laughs> So as much as I've been praising Lily as a good student and she's quite smart, I do enjoy the fact that as she's kind of laying out how everyone is going bananas around school in town, her voiceover monologue goes, I read this quote from this writer, I forget. Oh, is, is this the 10% the, the of the population can be cruel? Yeah. Yeah, I, I do like the quote, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I wish she could attribute, like, Lily, girl, cite your sources, please. She's not doing a podcast. <laughs> this is true. Wow. So our, our instances of people kind of losing their marbles includes homophobic football captain Johnny, who was played by Cody Christian, who decides that they need to exact some kind of violence against Diamond for hooking up with Bex. And then also we see Grace taking a baseball bat to Regan's head in the middle of practice because Regan leaked Grace's nudes. I This is, this is very fun. <laughs> I know it's a woman getting her skull bashed in, but this is a very fun scene. I just love the way this whole thing is shot. Yeah. Setup and execution was very, like, flawless. Mm-hmm. I'm a sucker if you rotate the camera. Give me an upside down shot, and I'm basically putty in your hands. And what's so funny, we're going to reference Euphoria again, but it's just so <laughs> funny that in this, Maude Apatow is playing against type that she plays in, Euf- in Euphoria. That in Euphoria, mm-hmm. she's very sweet. She's very yes. straight-laced. Like, she's... It's funny, she's like Lily's character who is like observing everyone from afar. Spoiler alert, this season, her character is like writing a play, but it's about everyone at the school (laughs) or everyone in her life, at least. Yeah. (laughs) So it's like, huh. Hmm. I see I see you, Sam Levison. I see you. Oh my god, is he creatively bankrupt? He's just reusing the same storylines in different media. Dun dun dun. <laughs> <laughs> Shots fired, Sam Levinson. Come at me. Okay, so the the final piece is that Mark and his friends do end up assaulting Lily and then they dox her after realizing that she is the girl from Nick Mather's leak. And just in case you didn't hate Mark enough, he pauses in the middle of this assault so that he can say, is it wrong that I'm actually enjoying this? You're like, yes, Mark. Yes, Yes, it is. See, that's where I imagine the collective yes from the festival crowd watching this movie. (laughs) Wretched, wretched. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And Mm. what was so awful about that scene is just like in real life where... You have bystanders that were, if not your friends, at least your like close acquaintances. So when they panned around mm-hmm. the same people that she was like partying with and they were like, you know, having teenage conversations and you right. think these people are quote unquote your friends. But then obviously like when they become the villains in your story, you look around and they they're not there to help you. They're actually there to harm you. It was it was a lot. It was just like, oh, well, this and, is and rewinding real. a little bit because uh, like we do have like this brief moment. This is the homophobia and transphobia coming in where the guys are making fun of Diamond. And like, yes, this is a quote. It's like I gave him five days before we commit suicide. And it's just like because <gasps> the yeah. worst thing that could happen to, that would drive someone to suicide is people finding out they slept with a trans person. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, boy. And that's how you know, like, oh, this person's garbage. And then when you see them involved in what happens with Bex's character later on, it perfectly tracks. Like, 
yes, I would have expected that from this character. Yeah, it was very like trans panic defense. It was mm-hmm. very like, ugh. I was like, okay, now the yuck. So Grace is arrested and it's an interesting reactions, right? So Grace is arrested and she's led out in handcuffs by the police as people are cheering and clapping and taping her. And meanwhile, Lily's socials are blowing up. And when she gets home, her parents more or less sandbag her and then kick her out of the house as soon as they well, get confirmation of what she's done. They bait her because they, mm-hmm. they, they put on this masquerade of we want to help you. Like, we just want to know. And as soon as she confirms, it mm-hmm. is – it was so funny because my, my husband was – um he, like, walked in the room. He's seen this before, but he walked in uh during this scene. And he, he's getting a degree in counseling psychology, and he's as soon as the mom goes, what is wrong with you? Yeah. He just goes, well, that's not the right reply. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, I had that line down in my notes as well, because it's a complete 180 from the tone. And, you know, there was an urgency, because, of course, the mom is the one doing the dirty work, and the dad is out in the fucking hall, like, 10 feet away, unwilling to engage. And the mom is just berating her. And the good thing is the way Sam Levinson shoots this is we don't really see the mom in most of this. So we're just kind of focusing on Lily, but she's very distraught, obviously. And the mom is just riding her, riding her, riding her. And then as soon as she gets that confirmation, it's, what is wrong with you? We're not even talking about the fact that this is an adult married man who groomed yep. your fucking daughter. No, that's not the issue. It's what have you done to us? Yeah, there is no moment in this film where the parents interact with Joe McHale or no. even reference him no. or put blame on him. Like the the, the I know she's eighteen, but like I'm gonna call her a minor anyway. Mm-hmm. But this minor is is the troublemaker here. Yeah. Like <laughs> it was, what the yeah, fuck? Yeah. It was it was giving very like Maury Povich, Jenny Jones Oh yeah. Time time for you to get sh- shipped off to boot camp now. Mm-hmm. Like you're not my problem anymore. Yeah, you can't be controlled, so we're gonna get rid of you. Oh, and that shot was so good, like, to have, like, you mentioned the mother who, like, you could see kind of her in frame, but, like, in the background, mm-hmm. um, you could see the father's silhouette back yes. there just, yeah. like, silently listening. Yeah. Not actively trying to console her, Mm-mm. not, like, being a good parent, just kind of waiting for the shoe to drop so he could be the physical man and throw her out of the house. But that's also the thing, though, where it's, like, you know, fa- the, the, the the trope of fathers are so uncomfortable talking about sexuality with their daughters. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, this is daddy's little girl. Sorry, you're not the daddy that she's the little girl to. Oh. It's the other one. <laughs> I do love that love. Uh, there's that scene where she she gets locked out of the house and she's kind of banging on the door. We see mm-hmm. the brother who will be important and he's just kind of perplexed, like has no idea what's going on, doesn't really care. And then we see the two parents just sitting on the couch trying to look normal and ignore the fact that they have locked out their daughter. You're just like, oh, this is a condemnation of suburbia. Yeah, mm-hmm. and what's awful is like that happens like oh yeah all, all the time like I mean it, it's that scene in Halloween when Laurie Strode is banging on the door and they turn on the lights and turn them off and don't help her bam oh my god I thought you were talking about the 2018 version I was like Trace just no. shut up <laughs> <laughs> slap on some ugly ass straw gray wig on Odessa Young <laughs> I've been waiting 40 years to get my revenge. Ah. <laughs> uh, so I think if this is probably one of the most upsetting scenes to me, it's this and the lynching. 
So Lily is on her way to Em and Sarah's house because that's her refuge. She doesn't have anywhere else to go. And as she's walking down the street, a person we have never seen before is driving. He has a knife and he is just filming her and like basically saying that he's going to rape her. And then he- uh, and then you think any man's going to want to lick that nasty pussy of yours after he Googles you. That is what he says to her. So he's like, you might as well just fuck me because no one else will. Right. <laughs> Your options yeah. are so limited. Now you're stuck with me. Yeah. This is this person's defense. Yeah. I do love the fact that he gets beamed in the face with a shovel for all of this trouble, though. Oh, yeah. Oosh. Very satisfying. Fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> and I pulled this little factoid from IMDb. I don't know if it's true because we all know that IMDb trivia section mm. is, you know, whatever. Questionable. But yeah. It does say the little boy who accidentally witnesses Lily bashing a stalker's face and with a shovel is holding a green frog. Mm -hmm. This is a reference to the infamous internet <gasps> meme Pepe the Frog, yep. which first became popular on 4chan, aka this place where hack the site where hacks are uploaded. Right. Interesting. You want to talk about toxic internet? 4chan is the place to go. I didn't know what 4chan was to be honest. Oh, so that God. was news to me. Your your <laughs> life must have been so much better. A richer, more vibrant life you had before. You know, you know what? We were making fun of, if I don't see it, it doesn't exist, and sometimes ignorance is bliss. In, in this case, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> wow. You know, what What happened to Lily, it was very, I mean, obviously we, we mentioned this at, like, I think the top of the episode or so, that this is Salem, right? Mm -hmm. That we've got to deal with, you know, your Madonna horror complex. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, your fall of Babylon, you know, horror of Babylon oh, yeah. complex that like, oh, women are the downfall of society. Look, mm -hmm. it was it was giving very that. It was just like all of you women, all mm -hmm. of you femme identified people. Yeah. You're you're the cause of all of our problems. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that gets hurled at Lily is the fact that she has like ruined Joel McHale's marriage. And mm -hmm. you're just like, no. You she doesn't have that power. <laughs> yeah. Like the adultify oh, we've got to talk about this. The adultification of children. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. It's real bad. Daddy, no. <laughs> it's like, I mean, like, this is mo this movie, like, I think if people gave it a rewatch, it'd be like, oh my gosh, this is mad. What's going on like right now in, in society slash since the dawn of time? Mm. I do wonder for movies like this, though, and, and Joe, I'm kind of going back to like our conversation about Freeway, where it's like a movie that's really assaulting you with right. a lot of things. Yeah. I do wonder if it's a movie that's like the first time viewing, like you, it will merit like a reward a second viewing because at least you know what to expect. Like mm -hmm. I, the first time watching this movie is probably a lot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like you're not really able to like, like process it fully. I mean, you've got to let it sit with you, but mm -hmm. a second watch will help you like at least rethink some of these things because you're just like whoa well and the fact that you know much like freeway and folks if you remember our conversation i i don't want to say it came down hard on freeway but it's just it's not mm. what you expect when you turn on the movie right and that's confronting so i think once you realize what the film is trying to do and that it's not shocking just for the sake of shock value well but that movie it, well it kind of is kind mm. of isn't and I, I i don't bring it up to like put you on the spotlight joe but like i just like again like those and we will have more of those movies that we're covering this year <laughs> so, quite a few yes be prepared listeners <laughs> <laughs> now we're basically threatening people with a good time <laughs> i'm so excited for some of these movies god <laughs> 
So this is where the film takes a bit of a, a left turn and we get a fade to black. It's one week later and Lily says, this is where shit gets really fucking weird. So we get a montage of violence as well as public shaming and everyone begins wearing masks. So this is where we kind of go back to that opening segment as all of the suburbanites are just randomly wearing masks as they're doing daily activities. And we also see that Nick Mathers is now leading a a vigilante mob. He's wearing a mask. He's got a giant fucking gun. They're talking about how they're going to take Salem back because the police and the FBI refuse to help them. And their first target is Marty, the hacker. And they nearly waterboard him. And no, th- th- no, this is waterboarding. Okay. Like they, 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 I, I mean, I would, I would assume having a washcloth put over your face and having a shower head just spraying water an inch away from your face that to me is waterboarding. <laughs> I mean, I say it because we've seen waterboarding in other films, and this yeah. one is like it's the threat of it is there, but we don't actually see somebody doing it. But I mean. Read between the lines. It's it's very much there. So Marty ends up confessing that Lily is the one behind the leaks. Well, okay. But the, the important thing is he says, I was tracking where things were coming from. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them were coming from Lily's IP address. Now, not Lily's mm-hmm. IP address, Lily's house's IP address. Mm-hmm. Ding, ding, ding. So when you two first watched this, what did you think of this? Because I immediately read it as oh no marty's just looking for someone to blame so he's not even telling any near he's not telling any truth at all i I, yeah i thought the same thing but when you watch it again it's like oh it's right there Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah lo and behold in plain sight (laughs) so wikipedia also says that they murder marty did i miss that part or is it just that we see his video no, 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 no. Um, so basically, when they show his video, they fast forward through his confession because it means nothing. And it's like a super cut of him being murdered, but also mm-hmm. the body that Lily finds in daddy's bathtub is Marty. Oh, I thought that was his mom. I thought that was the wife. No, the wife took the daughter and re- left him. Okay, clearly I was not paying close enough attention. Okay. <laughs> it was it was actually really hard to tell who the bloody mess in the bathtub mm-hmm. was, but it the, the, well the only reason I knew what but that it was Marty is because it's the same bathtub he was getting waterboarded in. Like that's <gasps> supposed to be where oh. you're like, oh, oh, like he is the one that's leading this whole thing. Mm. Yeah, it's funny. I had no difficulty figuring that out. As soon as I saw this figure with the bandana, I was like, Oh yeah, that's Nick. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> ding ding ding. Ding ding ding. It's men driven to the brink. Honestly, they can't be held accountable for their actions. It's these girls. The girls made them do it. So, yeah. So the girls are all hanging out. They're watching this uh, Japanese film. They're in their fucking great trench coats. I just love it. And then this is when they see Marty's video. And shit gets really real. So armed men begin to infiltrate Sarah and M's house. And this is a long fucking take. It is definitely longer than Tenebrae, but it feels like it's a bit of a gentle homage to it because the whole thing takes place outside of the house as we watch M and Sarah eventually get taken hostage at gunpoint by these men. So here's the thing. So yeah, I, I thought for sure, because there are parts where this camera goes by like a brick wall and so hey, here's a, here's like a split second of black. So like, clearly they, they joined it. Okay. Um, it's not apparently. Oh, yeah. And not only is this a single shot, they did it in one take. Yes. That's what the long take is. No, no, no. <laughs> no, I mean, they didn't have to do it again. They did it the oh, first time. Oh, sorry. Okay, I get it. Now, they rehearse and they choreograph, right. but they did this in one go and bam, it's done. 
Wow. Usually you hear about that when it's like we were chasing sunlight or we're fighting the sunrise or something. And it's like, we can only do this once. But that's interesting because this is really complicated. Like this is not an easy setup. No, it goes on for four to five minutes because I clocked it. And it's just like, wow. Wow. <laughs> All with a crane. Just a crane. Yeah. It's giving Halloween 2018. Oh, Danny, get out of here. Oh, <laughs> uh, and unfortunately, Danny's uh, connectivity ducked out, and we didn't have any more of them after that. <laughs> so uh, Lily steps out to call her parents. I remember the first time I saw this, I had so much tension because she just casually opens the sliding glass door up and goes out and then she comes back in and we're seeing men infiltrate this house in all different aspects. So M and Sarah's mom, Nance, is shot and she takes a few guys out. Do we know what her, because they said that she had a leak, like there was something about her, but do we know what it was? Um, uh, no, but I mean, okay. she had a bit of a kinky relationship with that dude that Lily sees when she first goes into the house, like way back at the beginning. Mm-hmm. I took it to mean that there wasn't anything particularly interesting. Oh, yeah, maybe, or it doesn't, it shouldn't matter to us. Um, mm. But yeah, because I mean, obviously, you know, we're, this is towing the line of horror, right? Like, if anything, oh. this is the scene that puts this into the horror territory. But yes. like, I, I don't really know what genre I would classify this film as, to be honest. I mean... I know what some people would call it, but we don't use the no. E word, so I oh, would say it's like oh, a no. like a <laughs> no. I I would say it's kind of like uh like a socially conscious thriller. The pacing is too frenetic for it to be the E word. Hmm. I don't know. I just think because it's so it's so well executed in terms of its technical elements and then also its interest in delivering a message. Yeah, I would say even just from a thematic standpoint, like this film was like an amalgam of, you know, your rape, you know, an homage hmm. maybe to your rape revenge horror right. thrillers homage to what's the current movement now uh what's what's the phrase good for her the good for her genre oh, okay. like, yeah, yeah. I, I mean we, we do have M giving this line when they're watching this movie she's like when i grew up i want to be a director and make only male rape revenge films like <laughs> and like, like deliverance ew no like <laughs> The Nancy Myers name drop really got me too. <laughs> that is amusing. Yeah. Uh, okay. So Lily is calling her parents and trying to explain that she's not behind the leak. And this man pulls up behind her, but ends up getting shot by Nance. This is mm-hmm. when Bucks climbs down and she ends up getting tackled into the pool and she kills a man with a nail gun. This is a cool. I love the way that the underwater stuff is shot. And especially once, once the blood starts pouring and mm-hmm. it just clouds around her. Oh, it's so pretty. Yeah. Yeah. Nance is actually a really crack shot, but unfortunately she ends up getting shot through the wall and it's a headshot. So she is done. And when that happens, Bex very clearly hears the shot and she takes off. So at this point, M and Sarah have been captured by the police. So a bunch more people have gathered around this house. Again, shades of mother, people just congregating around (laughs) a house. And Sarah and Emma are put in the back of the police cruiser and the mob is cheering and Lily makes a break for it. She runs across the street to Nick's house because she doesn't know that he's at all involved. So he carries her up to his daughter's room and they like snuggle on the bed and you're just like, no, no. This is what you were talking about earlier, Danny, where it's just like the adultification 
and like the grooming intersect and it's so creepy it's very to catch a predator like yeah <laughs> Why don't you take a seat? Just come over here and take a seat. <laughs> Sarah, did you know she was 18? Did you know she was 16 when you first started touching her? Yeah. Cover yourself with a shirt and run out. Oh, God. Am I on cops right now? Have y'all seen the South Park episode where they spoof that and, like, all the like, the pedophiles, they'll, like, walk in and they'll be like, oh, my God, it's that guy. And they'll just, like, blow their brains out. Oh, God. It's a really funny episode. Not that we're glamorizing suicide. No. No, 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 no. It's satirizing. <laughs> right. Oh, no, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is the tricky line that this film is treading, right? Like, mm-hmm. uh, let's move on. Let's move on. Yeah. Uh, okay. <laughs> so eventually she realizes he's really threatening and she doesn't want to be doing these things anymore. So she retreats into the bathroom, locks the door, and he gets super aggressive immediately. This is when she discovers the dead body. He ends up breaking in, and in the interim, she has managed to get a razor blade into a bar of soap, and she just slits his throat. And it's satisfying, but also disgusting, because the blood then pours all over her on the floor. Ugh. This is, like, my worst fear as an actor, is, like, if I have to be... Here's the thing. I I really want to be killed in a horror movie, but, like... I couldn't do what this actress is doing because you know that shit is just sticking mm-hmm. all. Although it does look pretty wet, but right. it looks sticky. <laughs> <laughs> well, and how many times yeah. do you have to reshoot this too, right? How many takes? You know what? Maybe they were like, we- we're good with the one. Just just roll around a bit. <laughs> Levinson's like, yep, we did one. Move on, everybody. You know, whenever I see like a woman drenched in blood, like I always think of Texas Chainsaw, mm-hmm. like ready or not, like yeah, when the bodies yeah. were like popping and exploding. And I was just like, and the fact it was in her mouth, I was yes. just like, Oof. yuck, yuck. Yeah. <laughs> it's a big yuck factor for sure. Very much. But, but it also is a very satisfying. satisfying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, because here's the thing, because like she, she doesn't like get him like right across the throat to where it's just like his neck like bends backward. It's mm-hmm. like it's like on the side, but she hits just the right artery and this blood just yep. pours out. I mean, and plus there's already blood on the floor anyway, because mm-hmm. Marty's blood was there. Yeah. Yeah. This this bathroom is a whole crime scene. For sure. Like, I actually thought that he was going to run in, slip and fall and like hit his head. On yes. All oh, that would have been good. But I think too comedic for where we're at in the film, because there is no more comedy, I find. Well, we need yeah. her. We, we need her to do the killing blow. Mm-hmm. That is true, mm-hmm. too. Yeah. Got to be a final girl. Well, and, and this is what we're starting to see, right, is that these women have been pushed to the brink. And as a result, mm-hmm. this is the point where they now start to fight back. And that that's actually kind of where your rape revenge association comes in danny Mm -hmm. so all right let's talk about some more unpleasant stuff so bex has run out into the street she gets apprehended and it's diamond but he refuses to harm her so well sort of well sort of he he puts the noose around her first and it takes like another scene like another cutaway to some to lily or something and then we come back and then she pleads with him again Mm -hmm. And then he removes it. Yeah. So he gets punched out. And then the others prepare to hang her from a lamppost. I did not think this film was going to go here. Yeah. I mean, so I'm sure there are critiques because it's like, you know, you have your you do a good job by putting a trans character almost center stage in this film. But then you have them undergo 
this. Mm-hmm. To me, I'm like, well, this is the story we're telling, though, right? Like, yeah. I, I, I don't – maybe you didn't have to go the lynching route, but, like, I don't know. I guess maybe it's – because I, mm, mm-hmm. I don't want to, like, compare trauma here, but I guess, like, Bex kind of gets the worst of it out of all the four girls. So yep. that could be something to critique. Mm-hmm. The reality of the fact is that if any of these girls were going to come under danger, it would likely be M or it would be Bex. And mm-hmm. – If you want to look at some really fucking disarming statistics, just take a look at how many trans women were killed in the U.S. last year. Because that number is astronomically high for the year that we are living in. Escalating every year at that. So, So, yeah, it's deeply upsetting. But if we think of, yeah, this film is augmented reality in terms of the violence and the kind of actions it's depicting. But do I believe that Bex would be targeted? Absolutely, I do. And particularly from high school boys. It's always kind of a thing, too, though, with accusations. And I'll just say misogyny, like, for for example, like a film that that is misogynistic, you know, and I'm always kind of like, yeah, okay, like, you know, it's the writer, the director, whatever, but it's also kind of like, and... And y'all help me kind of work through this. I'm like, but the actresses do take these roles. And maybe it's like, it's a job, like, right? It's just a job. Like, they have no say in this. But it's one of those things where it's like, well, do we do we ever, I don't know, are, do we ever say the actresses are complicit in, in movies with misogyny uh, or things like that? Well, it's interesting that you say that because I haven't actually seen any accusations of misogyny no, leveled against this really film. Do- I'm not really saying like about this film specifically, but I was thinking like I, I don't know, it's just in general. Like um, I don't I don't know. I don't know. Maybe this is a weird avenue to go down, but I see what you're talking about, Trace. Like it's always a thing that comes up, especially when you're talking about films, especially horror that mm-hmm. is you know more on the women's empowerment route. Mm-hmm. Like what what type of power? How is she wielding it? What is she using to, like, you know, be victorious? Like, you know what I mean? Like, the the entire kind of packaging of the film. Like, right. is it box checking? Like, right. yeah, it's, it's a slippery slope because, you know, obviously we still don't have a lot of women who are directing and or writing a lot of these movies that are in this rape revenge, you know, Umbrella. or even just or even just the realm of horror, period. Yeah, we're getting better, but... I mean, that that's why the line mm-hmm. works. Like, if I want to grow up and become a director and do only male rape revenge films, because, like, that's not something that happens. You're right, Danny. We still don't have enough representation of female directors in general, in horror specifically. Like, we're making strides, but it's not quite there. And mm-hmm. I don't know. I like to think that actors aren't in such a desperate position that they would just accept any old role. Like, they would believe in the script or they would believe in the artistic vision of the director that's probably a little bit naive and idealistic but if we turn it back to assassination nation i think that this film has a very clear through line where we're gonna go through some of this and it is traumatic maybe a little misogynistic definitely some transphobic but the payoff is such like we don't have to see too too much trauma to then get the really satisfying good for her moments like right. we, we don't see Bex get lifted up into the air and she's choking and gasping like we see a minute not even a minute we see a second of it yeah. and then she's released and we get a bunch of these boys just 
shot to pieces. And, and I mean, like, and again, like, going all the way back to the beginning of this episode where it's like, you know, Levinson was talking to all these actresses. Like, they all contributed to this. And I'm sure that, like, he he made all of them as comfortable as he could mm-hmm. in the scenes where they're being attacked or almost raped or almost lynched. Yeah. Oh, boy. This is where you hope that there's, like, some therapy and there's, like, some some advisors on set to make sure that this all goes down properly. I honestly wondered though, I mean like, you know, cause people, we say people get, we, we get catharsis from, from certain things, especially in horror, you know, and like how like in rape revenge films, like there are some rape survivors that can find catharsis and some that won't. Mm-hmm. But um, I do wonder though, if you're acting in a role, like if you, if you are a rape survivor and you uh, are acting in a movie where you are being raped, or if right. you've been, if you've been beaten up and you're in a movie where you are getting beaten up i wonder if people ever find catharsis in those moments or if it's um more triggering than not i mean sorry i'm positive I, I, there's no answer <laughs> I just, i'm just wondering out loud you know melina pendulum actually just did a video recently on her youtube channel that went into exactly what we're discussing um and actually she talked about rape revenge and promising young woman like mm. realism versus catharsis okay so um she explored the horror element you know the horror aspects of the genre and even like the drama you know films that you know address you know sexual assault and rape and everything and it was pretty thorough and it even like did talk about that gray area of you know what is the line between empowerment and re-traumatization and Mm. like can they also like coexist and that's uh, obviously a yes right they can coexist because a lot of people did say when they watched Promising Young Woman, they were triggered, <laughs> like, mm-hmm. to the nth power. And then also some said I was empowered. So, I mean, it was like a 50-50 split, but then also people who were, like, in the middle ground. I mean, that's the thing. Like, no, not it's not going to be one all for one, one for oh, all, God, right? No. Everyone's no. going to have their own reactions based on their own life experiences. Mm -hmm. and and how they handle and deal with and come to terms with said life experiences. And I think that's the power of film, but it also, particularly when we're talking about films of this ilk, right? Like rape revenge Mm -hmm. films, films that are... are Exploitation. Exploitation, yeah. It's hard to know what is going to be that tipping point, like which part is catharsis and is it enough to offset the more troubling or difficult things that you have to watch to get through. And that's the thing. I mean, like Levinson has a quote where he's like, he talks about the violence. He goes, I wanted the violence to be real. And I think there's always a fine line in putting violence on screen. Hmm. At what point do you glorify it? At what point does it feel like it's not real enough or not true enough? That is a tightrope that every filmmaker walks and you have to just trust the instincts of the people around you. You have to trust the instincts of your cast and figure out exactly what the balance is. A lot of thought went into this. And while it is violent, I think it is true in some weird, horrific, scary way. So I think also on a level, you have to stop thinking about what are people going to think about this? I mean, I think it's a good thing to have. Like, obviously, that's why you have these conversations when you're making it. But at the end of the day, you have to also accept that some people are not going to like this. Yeah. What's interesting that that quote, I think, is actually really illuminating because I was trying to think like we're up to the point where the rest of the film is mostly violence, right? So uh, we get to see Officer Richard get shot in the gut and it's really satisfying because he's talking down to Lily and he's facing her holding a shotgun and she just pulls the trigger and splatters him all over the windshield. And 
it, it was, Danny. It was 100% a good-for-her moment where I just went like, fuck, <laughs> yes. And it was, like, so over the top that... And that's a thing. Yeah, like, it was, like, way more, like, obviously blood than can come out of a human body, so it was... It coats the windshields. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Get off my fucking quijia! <laughs> but, like, and then you contrast that to, like, you know, we get the... Uh, a second slow-mo power walk as now the three girls are loaded up with weapons. You know, they it looks like they've got some fucking katanas, like Emma's slicing up some dudes. And none of this is realistic, but also the violence never feels cartoony. Like, I think the jokiest moment that happens in this final part is when we're down to two guys. It's Johnny and some other dude, and they're they're refusing to give up, even though the girls have said, you know, we won't kill you if you come out, but you've got to put down your weapons. Their reply is, fuck you, cunts. Yes. Mm-hmm. And then M just takes shot and shoots this one dude right through the chest. And I <laughs> burst out laughing, even though it is a moment of very realistic violence. But it was just, it was that line followed by M just taking a single shot and nailing this dude, even... Well- maybe through the tire yeah no it does go it has to go through the tire but it, it comes right after johnny's like you okay man yeah boom <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah but let, let's talk about bex's big moment because what do we think we have johnny mm-hmm. her main assaulter yes at gunpoint on his knees pleading for his life crying yeah, and I can't remember if he actually says the line or if I just always misremember it, but I feel like he says something along the lines of, I didn't mean it, or I wouldn't have done it. No, he he, he says I didn't mean it, for sure. Like, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. none of this Mm-mm. rings true. No, yeah. no. So here's my question, and I, I don't know if what, what way I prefer it. Mm-hmm. Do you, would you have rather that she killed him, yes. or are you okay with this side of it (laughs) no i wanted this fucker dead so badly i feel like i understand why but i yeah i'm I'm sorry i just had to jump in there because it was immediately like every i've watched this film three times but i (laughs) you knew what i was gonna ask (laughs) each time i watch it i'm just like mother blow this fucker's head off i want to see it It holds on on her face for the an excruciatingly long amount of time before she dro- drops her arm. Mm-hmm. I was actually like kind of torn, actually mm-hmm. blow him blow him to smithereens or let him go or whatever. But I was just like, you know, I was actually really torn because like this is a moment that for a lot of people, you know, was like a really kind of cathartic moment, mm-hmm. and like was also one of those moments like that shows that like. Obviously, she has more humanity than, yes. you know, the people that are traumatizing her, that are trying to violate her, that are trying to murder her. So, I mean, I could I could honestly see Bex doing one or the other. But, like, it was in that moment that, you know, obviously humanized Bex even more. That's just like, I'm not like you. Like, when you all obviously were trying to shoot all of us down, sure, I'll let the bullets fly. But, like... Mm-hmm one-on-one, I'm looking you in the eyes kind of deal, so... But that's the thing, right? It's like, okay, so we're not going to have her kill him so she doesn't stoop to their level, but it's like, but I want her to stoop to their level. (laughs) I mean, I even would have been okay with, like, a shot, like, 
even in the toe, like yeah. a or, shot in the knee. Or like, hit him on the bridge of the nose so that you break it with the butt of the gun or something. Or or like scar him or something. You know, like some some horror movies love a good scarring mm-hmm. that now no, everybody you, you in the stick, community. You stick the gun in his mouth and you point it at his cheek and you blow a hole through his cheek. Oh, gosh. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Like those movies that are like, now everyone knows what you did. Right. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, it could have been that. I mean, I even would have been like, okay, I'm I'm cool with that one. Yeah, part of me was just because we, we do it with both of our sort of main protagonist characters, right? Like, this is Bex's empathetic redemption where she says, okay, I'm not going to stoop to your level. And then we're going to get it with Lily when she does her sort of take back the night call to arm PSA in front of the fucking American flag. Okay. <laughs> I mean, the title is stylized in red, white, and blue. Like when the title comes I know. Up. I, I just thought it was so funny. It's basically she does a, like a feminist call to arm state of the union address that all the girls watch on their computers. And I thought it was amusing, but also like, oh God, okay, sure. No, I know. It, it, it feels the most preachy because she is preaching. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Like she's up on the pulpit getting the girls to come out and join them in the streets and it's great like i i love the idea that this ends with a kind of women's march through the smoke because it looks fucking good doesn't end yet because we got one more thing to go through true true (laughs) but but just before we leave this i guess because we get this with lily and this is that moment of true empowerment where she gets to speechify and prove that she is smart and she is more than the slutty girl who broke up that guy's marriage like she gets that moment I didn't want it for Bex because I didn't want this character to have to... I get it. Yes, we we want to show that the girls are better than this, but I didn't want it for both of them. And of the two, I would have rather had Bex stick to the guns that we saw in the pool where she doesn't give a fuck because this person didn't value or respect her as a person. I was like, no, Johnny doesn't deserve to live for that. Well, it's interesting, right, that she chooses not to kill him even after that conversation in the pool about Mayor Bartlett. Exactly. She was the one not showing empathy, whereas Lily was. Yeah. I mean, that's the arc, right? Oh, she's grown. Mm -hmm. She's matured. Now she's got the empathy. Yeah. I just didn't want it for her, to be honest. But I think that's that's fair. I think that's a reasonable thing to want. Like, murder this douchebag. <laughs> Give me the murder I feel I am owed on behalf of this fictional <laughs> character's behalf. This this motion picture. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, so yeah, we get this take back the night thing. I think it's good. It's the exact kind of moment that you want. It's also weird because you you don't realize that we've already passed the climax until we get to this kind of coda. Like, oh yeah. shit, yeah, the the movie is ending. We didn't get the giant shootout or the climactic battle sequence that we thought we were going to get. Instead, we fade to black and we have the parents being consulted by the police. And of course, it is revealed that Lily's brother is actually the hacker. And when asked why he did it, he says he did it for the lulls. Okay. So both, I have, first of all, yeah, so he's getting convicted for um, uh, cyber terrorism, murder, and invasion of privacy. I do not like the For the Lulz, but here's the thing. I would have been more okay with For the Mm Lulz if he was, like, being antagonistic and being a cocky little shit. 
the way this person, this actor acts and delivers this line, I would have preferred it. It, it is the strangers like because you were home, yes. right? Where it's not a mm-hmm. satisfying answer, but it's terrifying. Like, this is a sociopath. Yeah, he he has no idea about the ramifications of his actions because he, he, I mean, he very clearly has no empathy for anyone. Right. So I would prefer if he was just like I don't know because it was fun. Like that would have made, but, but the for the lulls sounds just like like as if he was trying to fuck with them a little bit more. And I, so uh. I need the delivery to be more antagonistic for for the lulls or I needed the line to be for fun for the way he delivers it in this movie. No, see, I just think it's so stupid and childish. Like, who the fuck says for the lulls? Like, what kind of dumbass are you? I thought it was <laughs> perfect for this character not realizing what he nearly did. Bitch, I'm Bella Thorne for the lulls. <laughs> it's like, why did you do it? Because I'm bitch, I'm Bella Thorne. You know, but I, I wonder as well, like, when we have those kind of jarring moments that obviously that's what ended the, you know, ended the film on. But maybe I can imagine people who are younger than us and we see it all the time in social media that like someone has done something really horrible and horrific and they're just like, JK. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like. I didn't mean it. Right. Like. Very flippant, very just like laissez-faire, mm-hmm. and it's really scary. But that's the way some young people are now. It's very, <laughs> and honestly, I'm not saying that we weren't that way. What I'm, I guess, what I'm seeing is we're seeing it in real time because we right. have social media. So well, yeah, so we we didn't have necessarily all the tools that kids today have, and we had mm-hmm. some of them. Like I, when I was yeah. in high school, Facebook had just become popular. Mm-hmm. Like yeah, that that part. Like <laughs> no, I thank God every day that we didn't have the social media tools available when i was younger because yeah yeah like i i would be a lily character where i would be inadvertently doing things and then realizing after the fact oh shit yeah that information is all i would have been the dumbass who when uh the camera turned on and i realized that the hacker could get access to me i'd be like oh i'll just take all my photos and put them in the trash ha ha now you can't get it those three decades ago when you were 10 years old no what are you talking about (laughs) back in my day my god i wasn't alive during the gold rush you fucker Anyway, I do want to talk about it because that's technically the end of the narrative, but the movie yeah. closes with a scene I really enjoy and I always forget about. So as the credits are rolling, this is something I love from a lot of teen films. I always think of the movie Get Over It, which opens with uh, yes! <laughs> a vitamin C following along as uh, I can't remember the guy's name. I always get Get Over It and whatever it takes confused. But I think oh, it's get Ben over Foster. It is- yeah, because that, that, that's the Kirsten Dunst one with Cisco, right? It is, yeah. So, oh, man. It's, it's Midsummer Night's Dream. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's actually a Midsummer Night's Rockin' Eve, but yes. Okay, but the, the movie is adapting a Midsummer Night's Dream. It is, Day. yes. <laughs> so in this case, we have a black marching band who walks down this destroyed street where all of the action happened, and they're doing a yeah marching band performance of Miley Cyrus's We Can't Stop. I just think it's like a perfect way to end this movie because it's it's that combination of like old and new like oh marching bands it's you know something that we've had for generations going back but Mm -hmm. uh, they're playing this very contemporary very teen friendly very oops the song is all about like teen bad behavior as they walk along all the carnage like dead bodies crashed cars burning houses like. It's such a great 
credit sequence. <laughs> yeah. I you know, I'm a, a sleuth. So if I see something interesting, I'm gonna sleuth and I'm gonna track down. Mm-hmm. So actually that was Edna Carr High School, um okay. located in New Orleans, Louisiana. They're actually quite, quite famous. Oh. That, um, do they do a lot of Mardi Gras, I'm assuming? Uh Mardi Gras, they were apparently cameoed in Beyonce's Lemonade. <gasps> oh. oh shit. They were like in a twenty eighteen T Mobile commercial. Obviously mm. they were in a Assassination Nation. They right. compete like nationwide. I mean, hmm. huge okay. band. Give me like a Bring It On movie but with that marching band shit. I mean, I think Stomp the Yard might be the closest that you can get. Stomp but the Yard and Drumline. Drumline. That's when I was thinking oh, of shit. with Nick Cannon. Drumline, yeah. Nick Cannon, man. Yeah. <laughs> yes, all those movies are bangers. Love them all. Shout out to the band kids. I'm yeah, a rep. I'm a, I'm a rep. I'm trumpet section. What's up, y'all? Nice. <laughs> I was friends with all the band camp. Actually, ironically enough, the events of Assassination Nation kind of happened in a low-key non-violent way in my high school where there was definitely <laughs> like a sex scandal, coincidentally mm-hmm. enough, involving a teacher in one case. But of course, every high school. Always. The joke in my high school was like, if you wanted to draw a line of like who had slept with everybody like a six degrees of kevin bacon kind of map you basically just had to start with one of the kids from band and you would cover either the entire school for some people or uh just the entire band oh my gosh you are not lying those kids were the most sexually active in high school by far who are you telling (laughs) yeah hand check (laughs) hand checks on the band bus oh dear for those that know no (laughs) <laughs> They'll be like, oh, yeah, I remember that in high school. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, so that's Assassination Nation. That is Assassination Nation. So y'all, final thoughts. And Danny, as the guest of honor on today's show, you can go first. Um, Final thoughts. I will recommend that everybody, I'm going to try and do this as well, get into the uh, film that Assassination Nation referenced, oh. which was Zubiko Bancho Zange no Noichi Monai, which uh, translates to Delinquent Girl Worthless to Confess, which came out in 1971. Hmm. So like, this was a whole genre of films which actually aligns right along with Assassination Nation, that in the uh, early 1970s, there was this genre of films, um, the Zubike Banchos, which were delinquent girl films, and right. Sukeban, like the female boss, uh, aka, like, here's a, here's a, the slang term, the Zubiko a genre which which basically meant like the bad bitch films nice <laughs> so like all of these girls were either motorcycle riding in gangs basically being kind of anti-conservative japanese society right. like in like every way so i guess i'm gonna tell everyone to get into these movies if you can i need to as well just to see like how well they hold up to see if i really like them to hmm. see if there's like the appropriate parallels between obviously the red coat, red jacket wearing, you know, girl gang and our girl gang in this in the 2020s. So, yeah. Hmm. I love the fact that we were praising this film for going on like two plus hours. Like, oh, it's really fresh and it's vibrant. And it's dealing with prescient issues. And then Danny, you're like, yeah, this movie actually has a lot of similarities to a film from 1971. 70s. <laughs> like oh yeah i guess delinquent films from back in the day like the 60s and 70s would have been addressing all of these similar issues in maybe just a different way 
<laughs> That's why it's important to keep cinema alive and go check out old old movies. There we go. Yes, as yeah. we do a theme for three months about 2010 films. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Just like that. <laughs> Some of them are hard to find. This Time is, is a circle. Yes. It is. And cinema eats itself all the time, so. Yes, constantly. But yeah, no, I, I, I recommend this movie. I think it's a great movie. I do think it's fun. I will stand by it despite all the, 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 the horrible things that happen in it. I really don't understand the critiques about it being annoying. Like, I don't, that kind of Gen Z teen speak thing. Like, I see that more in something like, I don't know, but I don't see it here. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay. Maybe just because they're using social media. I don't know. But yeah, I, I, big recommend on this one. I like it. Yeah. I'm actually going to give my final word to Adam White. He's a writer on ID, which is an, apparently an offshoot of Vice. So he wrote a piece called Assassination Nation is the first true horror film of the Twitter age. This is the piece I was referencing earlier in the episode. But he kind of ends his piece by saying, it leaves in its wake one clear difficult message in the continued culture wars between two ideologies shaped by the internet of today, one embracing of equality and sexual freedom, and the other violently defending the open oppression of the past, sometimes your only chance of survival is to burn the whole thing to the ground. I love this movie. Mm. I think it's great, and I'm really happy we got to talk about it. I can't believe we went this whole time, speaking of social media horror movies, and not talk about Unfriended. Mm. Oh, that's one. Mm -hmm. <laughs> which, which, came, which came out four years before Assassination Nation. Right. Yeah, that's definitely one where I'm like, oh, that was so annoying. Those characters are terrible. <laughs> I just wanted them all to die. Ugh. Let's watch them die then. Let's do that. <laughs> huh. Well, all right. So before we announce what we're covering next week, uh, Danny, first of all, thank you so much for coming on in this. This is a very fun conversation. Yeah. Oh, it was a delight. I love Horror Queers. The podcast is phenomenal every oh. week. I get my life, <laughs> my laugh and my life. But please let our listeners know, where can they find you on social media? Absolutely. I am only on Twitter. Only. Um <laughs> So you can find me at the Danny Buffet, um, where the horror resides is like my main, um, uh, it's not my Twitter handle. What do you call it? What do you call it? Um, before the at, what do you call that? Where the horror resides at the Danny Buffet. You can find me there. You can find links to my writing and my other work. I hope you all can check it out. And this has been a delight. I love you guys a lot. Like... <laughs> Truly, like, horror queers is, like, the best. Aww. Oh, my God. <laughs> and, folks, if you if you have not read Danny's pieces, when they drop something new, it is essential reading. So just keep an eye out. Oh, man. Well, if you want to get in touch with us, you can reach us on Twitter and Instagram at Horror Queers. Join our Facebook Horror Queers group to hang out with other listeners and find us on Letterboxd to keep track of all the films we've covered. Go to our YouTube channel to look at Micro Queers coverage, Chucky coverage, and Horror Queers hangouts where we talk to peers in our community about just random horror topics. And if you have a moment, please rate and review us on your podcatcher of choice, though Apple Podcasts and Spotify are the best ones to do that on. And if you want even more horror queers, please support the show by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash horror queers. We're 
almost out of February, but not quite yet. So before March happens, please go subscribe and get our episodes on season one of Yellow Jackets, Death on the Nile, Netflix's new Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie, and uh, of course our audio commentary on A Nightmare on Elm Street 3 Dream Warriors. You always shit on the sound cues mini-sode. You never talk about it. Oh, fuck. You know what? It's because it's not my script. <laughs> <laughs> It's also a lot of words. So yeah, we also have a mini set on sound cues, memorable sounds and horror that stick out to Joe and I. And that was actually a really fun one to record. It has lots of fun sound bites in it. Mm -hmm. But Joe, tease what we're talking about next week for 2019's Um, entry into Underseen or Underrated. Well, these last few weeks have been kind of like thrill rides. I think you've used the term experience both times, Trace, and Mm -hmm. it will continue next week. Yep. Uh, Leave it at that. So, uh, everyone, on that note, we can cross out Assassination Nation. Indeed. And cross out Horror Queers. (laughs) 